Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Schwartz hitting the trailer. Done. He scores. Vince Dunn put the Blues back on top. One of the Coyotes fell. Hoffman shoots. He scores. There's his second. Mike Hoffman took advantage of a toe pick from one of the Coyotes. He ripped it in and he ties the game. 2.35 to go in the first period. We're tied 1-1. One one. He's crashed behind the net. The time winds down and you can bring out the Zamboni. It's a four-game winning streak for the Blues. A 4-3 win over the Coyotes at Enterprise Center tonight. I don't like the Arizona Coyotes. I'm not a fan of that team. <laughs> well, you just don't like Arizona? Nope, just not a fan of that team. They are feisty, man. That is not a team. You called this. You said it correctly at the beginning of the year. You said, you know, I think people are sleeping on Arizona a little bit. Yeah, not a fan of that squad. Decent goalie, a team that for the first 10 minutes or so of the game looks like they were going to kick the Blues ass. I didn't feel good about this one at all early on, but they turned it around the second half of the game, especially they looked like clearly no doubt about it. The better team in this one. What'd you think of last night's game? My man, I thought it was exactly what Arizona and blues hockey always looks like stressful. I mean, frankly, I went and looked at it in the pregame last night in the last three seasons of these two teams, nine games, Blues had three going into that victory last night. And like Arizona always plays them hard. A lot of it's because of Rick Tockett, who is the identical of Craig Berube. I mean, frankly, frankly, they, they give the blues a hard time. They're fast. If you get into a, a, a leg race with these guys, they're going to beat you. And it comes down to goaltending. And last night, the Blues had the better goaltending in Jordan Bennington. Darcy Kemper has been really good this season. Bill Armstrong told us that yesterday. He's going to be a guy to watch. And he was in that first period. But the Blues, when when Mike Hoffman scored that goal, when uh, the defenseman toe-picked, basically backing off the ice and nobody was around him, when Hoffman scored that goal, you knew the Blues were coming back in that one because they had the fire. So let's start with the goaltending. That's where you want to go? We'll go there. Jordan Bennington looks awesome. He looks great. Ding! Uh, nice surprise for you. You saw this coming. You believed that he was going to be a fantastic player for the Blues this year, and that is exactly what he's been thus far. Is it time to start talking extension with Jordan Bennington? Oh, yes. Is it time to start discussing the possibility that Jordan Bennington needs to be locked up long-term before the end of this year? 100%. Now, 
I texted you and T-Bone last night and I said they need to get this done before history bites the Blues in the ass. And here's what I meant by that, because Curbs was talking about this in the broadcast. The Blues went through a stage from the 90s until 2018 that they could not find a number one goaltender. Now, I know people texting in as fast as they can right now. Well, they've had number one goaltenders, but they have not had consistent number one goaltenders. BK, you got to go back to Roman Turek. The last time the Blues had a solidified number one guy. And Roman Roman Turek was a one-year thing. Grant Fuhr had him for three years. He was a consistent number one goaltender. Cujo, back in 90, he was a consistent number one goaltender. But from that moment, from those three guys that I have named, you know how many goaltenders the Blues have gone through looking for the number one? 27. 27 goaltenders from 2000 until 2018 when Joe Bennington stepped in. Now, you've had Chris Osgood, didn't pan out the way that they were hoping for. Chris Mason, great, not sustained. You finally have this number one guy in front of you. And you got to lock him up because if you don't get Bennington under contract, you're going to have to find out what Ville Husso becomes, or you're going to have to find out what some of these younger guys become. You want that certainty right now. And for the first time since Roman Turek, the way that Chris Kerber pointed it out the other night, they have that certainty in between the pipes. And Darren Pang was on with us post game last night. And, you know, he said something that really kind of made me bug eyed BK. He said Bennington looks better now than what he did in 2018 when he came up in January. And I said, why? And he said, watch him in his crease. He's not playing back. He's playing up top and he's not. He's not the way that Panger said it. He's all about body position. And he said he looks at it as a golfer. It's all about the stance. And he said Bennington is standing up tall. He's not hunched over. He's not making those sprawling saves. He's calm, cool and collected in net. And he said that to me, this is parent Panger telling me, is why he looks better now than what he did January of 2019. He is eighth in the NHL in five-on-five save percentage. He is sixth in high-danger save percentage. So the shots that are the most difficult to save, he's one of the best in the league at saving those so far this year. He looks like the guy that we saw that was leading into the cup. And if, Mm -hmm. if Panger is saying potentially looks even better than that version of Jordan Bennington, well, now we have a little bit of a sample size. I understood the, the Blues were correct in the way that they handled this with this bridge deal that they gave to Jordan Bennington to buy themselves some time. You bought yourself the time to be able to see a high, a, a bigger sample size of him doing what he has now shown he is capable of doing. We've seen it. It's been on the ice. It's been an example for us. And the fact that he has continued doing it so far this year, it's early. We're 10 games in, but we said early this year. We want to see about 10 games to kind of have a good idea of what this team is. We are officially at the 10 game mark. Mm -hmm. I think I've got a pretty good idea of what the team is. They're damn good. I think I've got a pretty good idea of what Jordan Bennington is considering he started what eight of the 10 games so far. Mm -hmm. He looks fantastic. Yeah, he looks like himself again. And so if they wanted to start and I don't know if uh, if Army would be willing to or if Bennington would be willing to. But if they both decided Okay, let's go to the negotiating table. I think now is the time to go ahead and get that done because there's really very little left for Bennington to prove at this point. I think he's the answer. And Panger said it too last night. He said, if you think Doug Armstrong isn't considering getting him locked up sooner rather than later, you're sadly mistaken. Panger said, I fully expect Jordan Bennington to be the long-term goaltender of the St. Louis Blues. And you mentioned it, PK. I mean, we said 10 games. And right now, the one thing that I know about this team in 10 games is there's they are unstoppable at five on five play. 
I mean, they are the best team at scoring goals at five on five, right behind the Vancouver Canucks. Their plus minus differential at five on five is plus 14, which is right behind Montreal. Interesting. The only time that this blue blues team falters is what we saw last night when you give up penalties and it's a five on three situation or when they pull the goaltender at the extra man, this blues team struggles, but at five on five, there's no stopping them. So let's get into a guy that plays a lot of five on five time. In fact, last night he led all blues players with 22 minutes on the ice in five on five. Of course, we're talking about the one and only Justin Falk. If he had gone wide, we'd reference Barry Sanders. Yep. Parked over to Falk. He stick handles one. Lake Sanders, he's in the middle. He scores! Barry! Barry! Justin Falk made like Barry Sanders cutting it up the middle and he scores! Honestly, I don't know who had more fun last night in the broadcast in the game, Justin Falk or Chris Kerber, because not only that, he and Joey were howling like coyotes. Joey was talking about coyote mating in the middle of the broadcast last night. Like it was pure gold on a broadcast, but Kerbs nailed it there. Look, there's nothing else you can say about Justin Falk, BK, other than he's exactly what we needed him to be this season. I was wrong. I'm I am ready to come out and say it. T-Bone. Can you believe that he just said that? No, this is new. It doesn't happen often. There are opportunities, though, where I have to admit defeat. This is one of those opportunities. (laughs) I feel like I've done this a lot lately. Um, (laughs) Justin Falk's been great. He's been awesome, man. There is nothing more you could possibly ask for from Justin Falk than what he is right now. In fact... I think I'm going to be a card-carrying member of the Falketeers. Oh, yeah? I think I'm joining. He is jumping on board. Welcome aboard. I mean, what more could you want? He's got the stash, which is fantastic. What I would like is you to shave your face into a Falk mustache. So I'm doing engagement photos very soon. (laughs) I I think the fiancé would be a little... uh, That's true. Let's just say that wouldn't go well for me. Okay. Um... He on the ice, he's been pretty darn good defensively. Is he a liability at times with his speed? Sure. You knew what you were getting with Justin Falk, though. What he's been on the offensive side of things, there's there's no chance he makes that play that we saw last night a year ago. Zero chance. That is not the same player that we all watched last year. I came to St. Louis last season uh, for one game. It was in, I want to say it was in like December. Uh, I was living in KC at the time, got some nice blues tickets and was able to come to a game. My first time watching uh, Justin Falk in a blues uniform. I was texting my buddy who's a very good, very big blues fan. I was like, hey, you know, what can you tell me about, about Justin Falk, what you've seen so far, right? He's like, listen, it's been a little disappointing. I watched him very closely that entire game. He was terrible. Absolutely atrocious. Like one of, he looked like he didn't belong on the same rink as the rest of the guys. He didn't. Just just being honest. Last night, he looked like at times the best player skating on the ice. I, it's hard for me to even fathom that this is the same guy that we saw a year ago. But right now he's playing 24 minutes a game on average. He's been arguably, maybe even not arguably, their best defenseman so far this year. It's an unbelievable transition, and it's clear that it's all because he just has more confidence this time around. Like it or not, he is one of the best defensemen right now in the NHL. And that plus minus shows you. His ice time shows you. The confidence shows you. Go watch that highlight of Falk's goal and watch Sammy Blay's face. Watch Falk's face. Watch some of the players on the bench's face, BK. That's a guy who's a part of a team right now. And Joey keeps making the perfect analogy of this. Falk's playing 
the way he's playing because he knows the coach is going to tap him on the back to go back on the ice when he hits the bench. Before, it wasn't that case. Before, he had Petrangelo and Bomeister and Pareko in front of him. So when he made a mistake, guess what, Falk? You sit down and you're not going to go back out there until we need you. That's not the case anymore. You go back to the bench after a goal given up, 72 is going to be tapped on the shoulder in about two minutes to hit the ice again because they need him. And Craig Berube is very confident right now on his defensive pairings. That's why he put Krug and Falk together. Are they going to be liabilities for goals? Sure, because they're small stature defensemen, they're offensive minded. But they don't need Norris or uh, the Norris Trophy defenseman on the ice right now. That's what Pareko and Scandella and Mikola and Dunner for. You got Falk and Krug to go out there and create offense. And last night they created it in the sense of putting the momentum back on the St. Louis Blues side. The Blues have outscored opponents 16 to 4 in five on five ice time when Justin Falk is out there. No other uh, defenseman in the league has been on the ice for more goals for this season than Justin Falk. Think about that for a second. The Blues have scored 16 goals in 10 games in five on five play when Justin Falk is on the ice. That is the best mark in all of hockey among all defensemen. What the hell? What is going on here? This... He's feeling the juju, man. He is feeling it. Are you in the uh, Falketeers? Oh, I am. Are you ready to hey, join man, in? Capitan of the Falketeers. Are you, are you ready to join in the Falketeers? I was in on the Falketeers after game three. I don't think so. Here's I what, was. I here's, texted BK and told him I'm in on fall. Yeah, well, then Jamie Rivers shot you down on that one pretty quick. They though. both shot me down. Here's here's my, uh, here's my ask for everyone here on the BK and Ferrario show. Okay. Once the engagement photos are finished... We all grow out a nice Falketeer oh, mustache and use it for an entire month. I, I can't. Mine just a looks month. like a month. <laughs> you, you already have it. This is unfair. Well, yeah. That's what I'm saying, because I need to do something once I shave this off in a couple and of weeks. And Tanner can't even grow peach yeah, fuzz no, on mine, his face. <laughs> mine will look like I have like chocolate milk on my lips. That's all right. Put chocolate milk on there then, buddy. Or go buy a fake mustache. It's fine. <laughs> this is completely unfair. Right. Alex is doing something that he knew is... Uh, is well within a reasonable yep. outcome for him. This is just completely unreasonable for either of us. This too. is just a simple shave everywhere other than the mustache once the baby comes, and that's yep. fine. I'm on Very board. simple for you. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get into Mike Hoffman and Jordan Cairo and the other guy that we got to talk about later on today, Vince Dunn, who yep. had a nice game again for himself last night all throughout the day today. Chris Kerber going to join us coming up at 1.30. It's 11.15. Your time check brought to you by Clark and Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, yesterday we talked with the beat writer for the Colorado Rockies, and he gave us specifics on the numbers that he thinks that Cardinals fans can expect from Nolan Arenado next year. Got some context on the kind of player that would be somebody the Cardinals literally haven't had in a decade. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. This is a jump start to his career because I think, and this is my opinion, I thought he lost a little bit of his zest for the game, uh, his joy for the game. Uh, I think that's been reborn, and I have no doubt Nolan Arenado is going to be a multi-time all-star in a Cardinals uniform. So that was Patrick Saunders yesterday talking about how he thinks Nolan Arenado lost a little bit of his zest for the game. Remind you of anybody here in St. Louis? Ryan O'Reilly. Pretty similar stories there? A eh, little bit. 
the production kicked up a little bit when Ryan O'Reilly got got here to St. Louis, little, right? A little bit of a career year, I think, and goals and points turned out okay. Yeah. Okay, so I think Stanley the Cup, same yeah. is going to be true for Nolan Arenado. And Patrick Saunders, who you just heard and we had on yesterday, is the Rockies beat writer for the Denver Post. We asked him what he thinks Cardinals fans can expect going into 2021 from Arenado in terms of a real numbers standpoint. Here's what Patrick Saunders told us yesterday. I think Cardinals fans are going to see a new 290 hitter, a guy who's going to give them 30-plus home runs, and a guy who's going to just electrify them. I mean, you guys already know this with his play at third base. 290 batting average. 30 home runs, electrifying defense. Let's focus on the 290 batting average and 30 home runs, because let's be honest, that's what the Cardinals have really been missing, right? We've been looking for really since I've been in St. Louis. So dating back to at least 2016, that imposing, threatening middle of the uh, order bat. That is exactly what a 290 hitter with 30 plus homers brings to the table. Here's the list of Cardinals in the last 20 years. To have those numbers, 290 batting average and 30 or more home runs. Albert Pujols, he did a lot. He was pretty good. Lance Berkman. Okay. Ryan Ludwig had one season like that. Liked him. Jim Edmonds, Scott Rowland, Mark McGuire. Those are some. End of list. Those are okay names. It has not happened for the Cardinals since 2011. They've had zero guys. 290 batting average and 30 or more homers. Basically, what we're talking about is a all-around hitter. A guy that hits for average, gets on base, and hits power. That's something this team has been sorely lacking. And you know that from just watching these games. But now they have two of those guys potentially on the roster going into next year. Paul Goldschmidt's done it four times in the last decade. Nolan Arenado has done it four times in the last decade. There are literally zero other players in the National League that have done it four times in the last decade. The Cardinals, if you're looking around the National League, say who are the most likely guys to hit for 290 and 30 homers? The Cardinals probably have the two of them that are most likely to do it. And so when you're looking at the transition that we have seen from this offense, there it is in plain numbers, what it is now versus what it had been from 2012 all the way through 2020. And you know what the underlying factor with all that is from 2011 on no world series championships. Now look, they've been to a world series, but a lot of people would argue that, you know, that was kind of the carryover from the Tony La Russa era where you had a guy like Matt Holiday still and you were having some of those players on the roster, but you haven't had that consistent threat. You haven't had that feel of a roster that says, you know, this team could get it done. And it's because of that imposing bat. It's the because of the imposing middle of the lineup. Why do we talk so much about what the Dodgers did in the World Series? Because the other team had to switch up their pitching to match up with that lineup with a guy like Mookie Betts and Cody Ballinger and Corey Seager. Well, the Cardinals have that now in Arenado and Goldschmidt. And I still, and I heard your conversation earlier with Eduardo Perez on Danny Mac with BK. The player that's going to benefit from this, a lot of people will brain of Eduardo Perez is Paul DeYoung. Mm-hmm. And what that means for this Cardinals team is now you legitimately have a three threat in the middle of your batting order. It's not the MV3. I'm not comparing this to Pujols, Roland, and Edmonds. But what I am saying is if Paul DeYoung can be the guy that he was at the beginning of his career where he's hitting 30 bombs and he doesn't have to worry about protecting Paul Goldschmidt, you're going to have a 1-2-3 punch in the middle of the batting order that does seriously make you a consideration to get to a World Series. You used to have to squint. You used to have to kind of convince yourself that the Cardinals had that middle of the order threat, right? There was that time period where it was like, okay, 
I could kind of see it. Like you could convince me that this might work. And so you go into the season, especially as a fan. And by opening day, you're like, you know what? I think this is going to be all right. They're going to make this work because they're so good. They've got the pitching. They've got the defense. We're going run prevention. All right. If we're going spin rate BT style, I I think this could work, right? Maybe if you spiked the salsa. There's no spinning this. There is no selling you on this. You can look at the back of the baseball card. You know what these players are. It's right there for you to see. Everybody in baseball can see it. This isn't a Homer St. Louis take to talk about the Cardinals middle of the order being among the best in baseball. It is just a reality. And that's the difference between where we are now and where we were previously. I used to have to give the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt for their batting order. I don't have to do that now, at least not from basically two through five. I don't have. There is no convincing myself that it's going to be good. I just believe that it's going to be good because they've shown that in their histories. Now, the place where you might have to give that benefit of the doubt, though, is the rotation. We talked about this yesterday. I thought Tanner made a good, really point in that he he does have some questions about the pitching. And I couldn't really come to grips at the moment. Like, you know, why, why do I disagree with that? I, I think it's just because I, I'm higher on their pitchers maybe than Tanner is. But there has to be more than that, right? And as I was listening to the fast lane, I think Anthony Stalter said something that really hit home for me that explained, okay, that, that's it. That's why I'm so much higher on the Cardinals than other people seem to be. I'd rather have questions about the pitching staff with this organization than the offense. Because this organization has done such a fantastic job of finding pitchers, whether it's in the first round, second round, hell, even the 28th round, we have seen this team find young pitchers. International market, no problem. What they haven't been able to do is find offense until yesterday. That's it. That's it. What he just said there, that is is why I am so confident in this Cardinals pitching. Because they've proven to me. I have no reason to question their ability to develop young starting pitching. I have no reason to question the guys that they're bringing in as free agents. I have 100% given the benefit of the doubt to the Cardinals that they're going to be fine with their pitching. Because I looked it up last night since 2011, the same span where they've really struggled finding those middle of the order bats. They've had a top five pitching staff ERA more often than not in the National League. So why would I question it now when I actually really like the arms that they have? I believe that they have a ton of upside in that rotation. I know how deep we all know how deep that bullpen is. I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt in the pitching staff in a way that they never did really to me in the lineup. Yeah, because his track record goes beyond 2011 with the ability to find pitchers and and grow them into top level talent in your rotation. And I'm not just talking about evaluating them when you draft them, evaluating when you make moves for them. I mean, Stalter mentioned it in the uh, international market of going out there and having success. It's not just KK. Sung Wan Oh was one of the best closers in Major League Baseball the first year that they had him. So they do deserve the benefit of the doubt because we've always said evaluating offense this team stinks at because look we're still concerned about Nolan Gorman and Dylan Carlson right we're I'm not, not concerned about Carlson now we're not now we're not but look you're you've never been concerned about pitching at all we've been talking about Austin Gomber making this fifth rotation spot we're talking about Ponce de Leon making this fifth rotation spot and that's not the Pittsburgh Pirates saying oh well maybe this guy could pitch in our fifth spot no this is legitimately like Ponce de Leon deserves an opportunity. Alex Reyes deserves an opportunity. Like it or not, we make fun of it. Carlos Martinez is pitching really well right now in this Caribbean league. Some of us haven't been making fun of that. I'm not talking about you or I, T-Bone. 
But John, J.P. Morosi put it out earlier today. He is he looks like a legitimate starter. They have guys who can fill the spots for you that don't have to be Cy Young pitchers. You might have that in Jack Flaherty. You need capable, above-average arms to help this offense. And right now, they've always had that, and it might be better than above-average. Yeah, I, I love where they are when it comes to their pitching staff right now. They've got a ton of depth. I talked about this earlier today with Danny Mack. I think you could write four guys in pin that are going to be in the rotation. It's going to be Flaherty, KK, Michaelis, Wayno. Yeah. The question comes down to who that fifth guy is. Based on what we've seen, I know it's the Caribbean series. How much stock you put in that is totally up to you. I think Carlos Martinez right now would be my favorite to get that fifth spot in the rotation. That doesn't mean he ends the season there. That doesn't mean he starts 30 games for you, but he gets an opportunity. And then you've also got guys like Reyes, Gant, Ponce, Oviedo, Woodford, Libertor, Thompson. That's seven other dudes that at some point during this year could start for you. I feel really good about that. Also from the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the three one four, they say you've also elevated your infield defense, which should help up help out your pitching as well. One hundred percent. It's a great point. You just got better at third base defensively, and I think their outfield they're going to have more opportunities to be able to go with defensive offensive replacements, especially late innings, because the offense has been upgraded around those guys at the bottom of the order, and they've got some really good defenders out there. Mm-hmm. Imagine late game protecting a one one run lead with you've got Bader in center. Carlson in left and O'Neill in right. That's a hell of an outfield defensively right there. Yeah. I mean, you've got legitimate potential gold glovers at at least two of those spots, maybe a third spot as well. Real quick, that's the thing for me, though. Look, you got a bunch of ground ball pitchers in this rotation other than Jack Flaherty, but more importantly, I don't think you're going to have to be talking about those one-run leads anymore. Now that you have Arenado, you can widen that gap a little bit offensively. I don't know if it's going to shoot to top 10 like it was from 27th this past year, but you don't have to be playing in these 2-1 baseball games anymore. You pitch at a wiggle room, which gives your offense that opportunity to explode, and I think that's going to be a benefit. That is Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's talk with Nick Grokey. He covers the Rockies for The Athletic. He was on that conference call with the Rockies owner and the Rockies general manager yesterday. I want to get his perspective on what's going on right now in Colorado and through his eyes. Why was the return so light in this trade? Did Nolan Arenado only want to come here to St. Louis, or is there something more to this? We're going to talk to Nick Grokey to get to the bottom of this. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. All right, let's go out to Colorado. We got to figure out what's going on with the Rockies. They trade Nolan Arenado, they throw in $50 million, and the Cardinals basically had to give up a fifth starter and some pieces. So we need to find out what's going on with the Rockies right now uh, with a man who covers the Rockies for The Athletic. He's Nick Groke joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Nick, we sincerely appreciate the time today. How are things going out in Denver? And uh, not good, I think, (laughs) basically. uh, I think people are still still in a bit of shock to be honest um you know the writing was on the wall that for a while that that Arnado might be traded um it wasn't as it wasn't as done a a deal as uh say say when they traded Troy Tulowitzki which was almost 100% certain was going to happen at some point um there were still there were still a lot of people i think holding out the idea that they might not trade him um and then when they did, 
uh, on top of the fact that they traded their their best player, one of the best players in their history, then they they essentially you know got fleeced. If I, I if I can be honest, I think a lot of fans are still in shock at the idea um, and tr- and kind of trying to figure out why why the Rockies would would submit themselves to something that was so so damaging, to be honest. Well, Nick, I guess the good news is I don't hear people screaming or buildings on fire behind you, so that's at least positive right now out in Colorado. Uh, Let me ask you this then, because watching what both the owner and the general manager were saying yesterday in this press conference, it seems that there's a little miscommunication on either side. How is it that this general manager still has a job with the moves that he has pulled off in the last few years? Yeah, uh, that that is that is the ultimate question. I think with this team, uh, at least one of them, even even beyond uh, the the Nolan Arenado situation, like what you know, why does somebody who has really whiffed on every major move, um, every major free agent signing, at least in his five almost you know more than five years, um, he spent he's he, you know they've spent the Rockies fans get a little bit confused sometimes. Um, the Rockies aren't cheap. They do spend money. They're they're not they're not a team that that hoards cash and doesn't want to spend. They do spend money. They just spend it really stupidly. Um, they've spent more than two hundred eighty two hundred and eighty million dollars, I think, um, in in Jeff Breidich's tenure, and all of them have been with. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like real, to be honest about it, they haven't really hit on any of them, and it continues to put them in a deeper and deeper hole. Um, even then though, even then they weren't really looking, you know, some, you know, I'm also getting this question a lot, you know, why, why, you know, why would they submit to a salary dump for the Rockies? It wasn't, it wasn't a salary dump. They weren't trying to shed salary. Um, the fact of the matter is that the general mind manager just, ticked off his best player. Like he marginalized his best player. And when it came down to it, the, the owner chose the general manager over Nolan Arnauto. I mean, I, I think it's as simple as that. Like, you know, one of them is still around and one of them is not. I think that's a very clear indication of, of who they prioritize in this whole mess. And, and now they're going to have to go forward. He was at the owner was asked a question yesterday. Um, you know, is, is, Jeff Reidich in any, you know, is he on the hot seat? Is there any any feeling that he might be fired? And he's absolutely not. So they're going to keep going forward with this with this same plan, I suppose. Nick Groke covers the Rockies for the Athletic, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Have you heard any reasonable explanation as to why the return was so light? I mean, I've I've been trying to come up with theories over the last few days, and honestly, I'm kind of coming up empty other than the idea that Maybe this was Arenado flexing his leverage and saying, I'm only going to these two or three teams. And ultimately, the the Cardinals were the only one that gave any sort of offer. Maybe it was the money that other teams weren't interested in. Have you heard an explanation that makes sense to you as to why this was so light? Yeah, well, you know, I don't I don't know if it's been explained in any any hard and fast way, but I, the leverage here, I mean, you're not wrong, you know, Arnado had some leverage. The Cardinals had had some leverage. Really, though, what we're talking about is a lack of leverage on the Rockies' side. Um, everybody knew that. Everybody knew that Nolan was was not happy and that he wanted out. 
they also everybody also knew that he could just leave at the end of the year if he wanted and become a free agent. Everything turned against the Rockies. Every every possible thing turned against the Rockies. Now, here's where, what was surprising though to me. Um, I think it was it was obvious from the start though that because of the opt out and because of his his higher salary, the the Rockies weren't necessarily going to get a huge return. Um, it's not, it wasn't going to be a Herschel Walker trade. Um, the, what surprised me though, it was how little they got. I mean, I, I expected to, I mean, to be totally honest and I was way wrong. I expected at least, at least one of the, one of the Cardinals top four prospects, Matt Libertor, um, maybe Nolan Gorman, at least somebody that you can point to and say, you know, this is a guy, that's a dude. We, we got a dude. Um, and like no offense to <laughs> to Austin Gomber or, or Mateo Gill, any of them really, but they didn't really get a dude. They didn't get somebody that you can say, "Hey, check it out." We like look at this shiny object that we got. They got they got almost they got very little, to be totally honest. And and on top of it, they had to send something like fifty million dollars to St. Louis. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I was I really was way wrong in the trade. I. I really thought that the money would be taken care of in a swap of big contracts. Like they would get some kind of big contract in return. St. Louis was tough because, you know, some of their bigger contracts have no trade clauses. Dexter and Dexter Fowler was not coming back to Colorado. He did not want to have anything to do with this team. Um, but there were ways to maybe make it happen, but instead they just gave them cash and, you know, in the, you know, when, when we look back at recent trades in, in baseball over the last, you know, year or two, uh, maybe three years, you can see trades, trades that involve prospects and, and money, the, the sort of going rate, I hate to put it so bluntly, but sort of the going rate for buying prospects in trades is about 10 to $12 million. Um, when teams trade somebody and get prospects in return, uh, they usually have to kick in about ten or twelve million dollars somehow, some way, um, to get a sort of top prospect in return. Um, the Rockies, the, the Rockies, you know, sent fifty million dollars for five players, but none of them were top prospects. So they, I mean, to me, they wildly overpaid in this trade and lost a potential future Hall of Famer. And completely take our fan and fan base. So it was like a, it was definitely a loss all around. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, yeah. how was the play? I'm sorry. Just, I was just saying. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, they threw in fifty million dollars. They got no top prospects, <laughs> and they ticked off their entire fan base. It's 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 unbelievable uh, what they've there's, done there. There's no there's no good way to spin it. There really is no good way to spin it. And what was weird about their 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 press conference yesterday was. They didn't even really try to spin it, to be totally honest. Like they, they said very little about what they were getting in return. Um, to me, to me, the, the press conference had definitely had an air of of defeat. Like they seemed very defeated. But at the same time, and this is the problem with this team, if I if I can be blunt, um, they were also sort of petulant about why it happened. Like I, it's a weird combination of just submitting to defeat, but not acknowledging why you got there. Um, it's, 
There's a lot of problems with this team, to be totally frank. <laughs> Nick, let me ask you this, because we have somebody who I know you're probably familiar with, and that's Woody Page. He was on with us a couple of days ago, and he told us that this might go down as one of the worst trades in Major League Baseball history right there with Babe Ruth uh, going uh, from the Red Sox. Uh, do you agree with this? I mean, you've talked about this guy being an unbelievable player. Uh, are the Cardinals getting the dude right now? Oh, they're getting an absolute dude. Um, I like that we're I like that we're sticking with this this uh, technical terminology of dude. Yeah, no, but, that's how um, we measure it now. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yeah, no, they're they're getting they're getting a one of the. I mean, yeah, they're getting one of the best players in baseball. It's it's simple. Um, I know, you know, I know. I've, I hear this a lot from Cardinals fans. Um, hey, check out his road numbers, and and um, he, you know, it seems like he's regressing because he had a bad twenty twenty. No, no, I'm I'm not in the. I'm my job is not to defend Nolan Arenado. I'm not his PR person, but I mean I've seen him play for, for long enough. Um, a lot of very good players had bad 2020s. Just wipe out that season with 60 games. Like don't, you know, that's not a, an indication of anybody. Um, you know, Kristen Yelich had an equally bad season. It doesn't mean that he's a bad baseball player. Um, and Nolan Arenado, and we've seen evidence of this. Um, recently, especially with DJ LeMahieu going to the Yankees, uh, hitters often leave Colorado and become better hitters. I know it's sort of against, uh, goes against the, the the reputation of Coors Field, but um, you know, Rockies hitters. If you look at their home road splits, they are not as good as their home numbers, which are sometimes just freakishly high. Um, batting averages go way up because the outfield is so big. Um, but they also have a significant disadvantage when they go on the road because all of a sudden the slider that was a strike at Coors Field is a ball in the dirt in St. Louis, and they it's a very hard adjustment when they go on the road. So they are not nearly as bad as their road numbers. Nolan Arnauto will, will – I mean, I think he, he very well be, could become a better hitter in St. Louis. Um, you know, it doesn't – you know, when he hits home runs, they are not – cheap home runs. He's not, he's not fly. He's not hitting fly balls that just eek over the fence. Um, a home run at Coors Field will be a home run <laughs> at Bush stadium. It's like, it's, it's, you know, there's not a lot to worry about with him and he's been very durable. He had an injury last year, um, but he played through it. He's been very durable in his career. They're, they very much got a dude and, <laughs> I, the the slow the slow creep in baseball of worrying about age is pretty funny. Like we used to worry about people who turned thirty five, and then it was like thirty two, and then thirty was like the the nightmare scenario. He's not even thirty. I mean, he's still he's still in his twenties. There's a lot there's a lot of baseball left with him, and I mean he he has never not won a Gold Glove. There's just a lot going for for the Cardinals and in, in, in getting him and. And yeah, I mean, I, and I, and again to circle back, all of this, all of this is is contributing to the psychic damage I think right now in Denver. We've got just about a minute left. Last question that I've got for you, Nick. Uh, when you when you look at those opt outs, I know that's the one hesitation that Cardinals fans have because when we have people like you on or people that have played with Arenado, people that have covered Arenado in the past. Everybody basically says the same thing. There's almost no questions about him in terms of who he is as a person and a player. 
Those opt-outs, though, if you were a Cardinals fan, would you have any concern about him exercising one of those and deciding to opt out after either this year or next? Well, they can blame the Rockies for that. He didn't even ask for an opt-out when he signed his uh, when he signed his extension with the Rockies. They gave it to him just for some, for just because <laughs> it was sort of a loser's mentality. They they just sort of escape escape clause. Um, I think the reason that he he retained an, an opt out and added one was just it's just a way to say you got something in a negotiation. Um, it's just a, it's just like a perk. Um, like a hotel suite that you might never even use on the road, whatever whatever baseball players get in their contracts. Um, if they're winning and they're trying, and the Cardinals are always at least trying, you know, even if they're even if they have a down year, I, I don't suspect that he ha- would have any interest in in opting out. Um, you know, he hears a lot of stuff about the Cardinals over the years. He heard from Troy Tulowitzki and Matt Holiday. Um, he knows what kind of team they are over the long run, and that is the kind of team that he's always wanted to play for. So I, I, I don't see why the opt out is is really much of an issue, to be honest. He's Nick Groke. He covers the Rockies for the Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at his name, Nick Groke, G R O K E. Nick, we sincerely appreciate the time. I know it's an unbelievably busy time for you guys out there. All the best to you and your family, and we'll talk with you again soon. Uh, you are dude. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. That is Nick Grogue joining us here on 101 ESPN. Man, we talk about some of the things that have gone wrong for the Cardinals I over the years. I was just thinking this, BK. We think about some of the things where you're like, man, why'd you do that? And then he comes on. He's like, yeah, Nolan Arenado didn't even want an opt-out. They were just like, here, here's an opt-out. Here, Cardinals, here's $50 million. You want to take one of the best players in baseball? Here you go. No, 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 no. Please give us Gil Mateo. It's fine. That's all we need in this this, this contract situation. Actually, would you mind throwing in Austin Gomber? I okay. feel like for the yeah. for, for the Rockies fans, we could at least use a number five. Does starter. Mo have to sell that? Like, oh, God. He, uh, he right, used yeah. an exclamation point in his press release. No, he's not selling anything. Okay, so here's the thing. How does this man still have a job in Major League Baseball? BK, $281.6 million spent on players, 12 players. He spent $106 million on three bullpen pitchers. It's not great. And we're upset about Brett Cecil? Yeah, I'm still upset about that. Okay. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's start with this one from the three one four guys. Who do you think should lead off now? Because they do uh, seem to have their two, three, four, and five set. Who do you want to be batting lead off for the Cardinals in twenty twenty one? Well, I uh, I know who my boy BK has. Two hours ago, he put a tweet out that says, by the way, BK Sports Talk at Ferrario 101 ESPN. Welcome aboard the Harrison Bader leadoff versus left-handed bandwagons. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the Harrison Bader fan club, Brandon Kiley. Alongside Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he wrote earlier today in the dispatch, hear me out here. Harrison Bader has an OPS of 855 against left-handed pitching since he debuted. Fowler has a 765 OPS against right-handed pitching since he joined the Cardinals. It could be worth considering a leadoff platoon approach with those outfielders. So you would have Bader going up against lefties in the leadoff spot and Fowler against righties as a leadoff man. 
I love it. I think that's what I would do going into the beginning of the season. Now, if they fail, if they struggle in that role, then you could switch it up and you go with Tommy Edmond at the top of your order. But both of them bring a little bit of speed to the top of the order. They both have on base percentage that outweigh what you're getting from Tommy Edmond there. I think it makes a lot of sense to go with those guys as a platoon as your leadoff hitter. Uh, look, you can't argue with the president of that fan club. I will say this, though. I'd make it an open-end competition in spring training because Bader deserves a shot, Fowler deserves a shot, and I think I want to see Edmund and Carlson up there as well. Carlson, in my eyes, is a two-hole hitter. Agreed. From what we've been told, he's he's one of the better pure hitters on this team with Goldschmidt and Arenado. But I'd like to see him up there. Tommy Edmund being the switch hitter, and I know Carlson's a switch hitter as well, it gives those the Cardinals option. So I'd make it an open-end competition for those four. I kind of like the idea of a switch hole hitter or a switch hitter, though, in the middle of the order uh, as as your six hole hitter right right behind Paul. The good news is you got a I lot like of that them. idea. Good yeah. point. I, I like the idea of Bader maybe against lefties. I'll support that. I, I, I'd rather see Edmund at the top rather than Fowler against right handed pitching. So something for you guys. I like to look at the numbers. That's why I'm basing off of the Bader idea. Carpenter's numbers as a leadoff hitter are incredible. Okay. Would you be willing to experiment with it? No. Well, now you just pissed off know. BK for the rest of the day. Thanks, T-Bone. You're welcome. I mean, the answer to the question is no. By the way, Tommy Edmond has some splits where he would also be a really interesting guy at the top of the order against lefties. I told you about how good Harrison Bader is against lefties. Surprisingly enough, Tommy Edmond even better. 929 OPS in his career against left-handed pitching. Yeah. All right. And now he's got a role on this team last year i know he did but it was 2020 2019 he did that as a bench guy and then a platoon guy now he's legitimately the guy if they don't bring back colton wong their big question is who bats bats lead off against righties they've got some good options against left-handed pitching the question is who's that guy against righties i think honestly to your point tanner it's it's probably going to come down to Dexter Fowler or Matt Carpenter. I think those are probably the two guys that give you the best opportunity there. I just don't know where Matt Carpenter plays if you're not going to have the DH this year. That's my real question. Agreed. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show today. Coming up next, former NFL center Matt Burke is going to join the show I want to hear from him what he thinks the Chiefs offensive line injuries mean for this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It might not be the sexiest part of this game. I think it's going to determine the outcome, though. We'll talk to Matt Burke, former NFL center, about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to be joined by a Super Bowl champion, two-time All-Pro, former NFL center Matt Burke joining us here on the show via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Matt, we sincerely appreciate you hopping on today. How you doing, my man? Oh, it's my pleasure. Doing great because, uh, well, eight years ago, uh, I was fortunate enough to host the Lombardi Trophy, so it's you know, for, 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 you know, some fat offensive lineman, this is, this is a good day. <laughs> so let's start with this. I would imagine you've done a few of these so far. It is that radio row time of year for guys like you. What are you most interested in talking about with this matchup? What is the thing that when you look at this, you're get, sitting down to watch the game on Sunday. What are you watching for? Well, I'm going to I'm going to watch the chiefs offensive line. I always watch the line play. You know, if you watch football with me, I'll ruin the way you watch football. <laughs> I don't know what the ball's doing, but uh, obviously interested to see such a huge loss for the Chiefs to lose your 
your starting left Pro Bowl tackle in the waning moments of a AFC Championship game. Um, huge, huge loss for anybody. But then you you saw what Jason Pierre-Paul uh, did to the backup left tackle of the Green Bay Packers, and this is like this has gotten very, very interesting. Um, and and certainly, we all know Pat Mahomes. I think he's the the best quarterback on the planet right now, but. It's like now now you're going to ask him to do one more thing to compensate for, for having a, a backup left tackle in on the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this is going to go. Matt, take me into that offensive line room. What's the, what's the game prep like then for a defensive line like this that has been so intimidating all the way up to the Super Bowl? And, and I mean, frankly, that is the storyline I think a lot of people are watching is the O-line against the D-line. What's this game plan like for, for an offensive line group? Well, I think you know you you're, you're gonna you, you know you watch the game film, you see what these guys do, and sometimes you when you're watching a team, you're like, whoa. And Jason Pierre-Paul, let me say, I mean, I was played against him. He was young, I was old, but he he is one heck of a player now. And uh, him and him and Shaq Barrett, that's that's two formidable guys. So you watch the film, you want to get a feel for for what they like to do. But uh, for offensive line, it always goes back to being fundamentally sound. You know, don't worry. This guy might be. He might have a great spin move or a great swim move or a great bull rush or whatever that is, but you can't you can't take your pass set and worry about that. You have to you have to be fundamentally sound uh, and all week you're, you're just think fundamental, fundamental, fundamental. And so when you get into the the heat of the battle and there's gonna be some guys who are in different spots and this is a big spot, you, you're you don't want to be thinking about okay, I just got to go block this guy. Um, you just want to be thinking about executing those fundamentals and and have it become second nature and. That'll give you a chance to block these guys. Matt, you're a Harvard grad. You are a bright, intelligent human being. If you were in Andy Reid's shoes, is there anything he can do to take a little bit of this off of the offensive line, whether it be moving the pocket or leaving a running back in and protection? Is there anything he can do to help the O-line against what is, like you said, a formidable defensive line for the Bucs? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I think, I mean, you're going to see that you're going to see, I don't think, I don't think you want to keep running backs in. I don't think you want to keep Travis Kelsey in, but I think you want them chipping on their way out into the routes. Um, you know, slowing that guy up, giving the DN something else to think about on, on his way to the quarterback. Um, but you're going to have to figure out ways to get shots down the field because Tampa knows that you don't feel real good about your pass protection. They know you're going to probably want to get the ball out quickly. And so those linebackers and those corners, they're, they're going to probably be jumping some of the routes, thinking that, you know, especially early, um, you don't want Pat Mahomes taking a seven-step drop and, and holding on to the ball. So I'm sure Andy, he's, he's a great coach. I mean, he's probably an underrated coach, as funny as that sounds. I think he's like, from an offensive standpoint and from a head coaching standpoint and a GM standpoint, I think he's like Bill Belichick. I mean, I really do. I know he doesn't have the Super Bowls, but – look at what he's done. And so I think he's trying to scheme ways that can compensate for maybe being a little bit overmatched up front. Uh, but, but ways to, to, to buy some time and, and take some shots down the field. Cause we all know what the chiefs can do down the field. It's absolutely, I mean, this Tyree kill guy is absolutely ridiculous. Matt, speaking of uh, speaking of Bill Belichick, let's look at uh, Tom Brady, the GOAT, going up against Patrick Mahomes. You played in the AFC. You've seen plenty of Tom Brady. Are you surprised that he is at this point of his career where he's still playing in the Super Bowls, or does this just another day in, at the office for you? I mean, it's certainly amazing, but I guess when I think about it, I'm not that surprised. I mean, this this is who Tom Brady is, right? He's just maniacal about 
everything that has to do with football, whether it's taking care of his body or his training or his game planning or whatever it is. So, um, uh, you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, I mean, you read it, you read it, but he's 40, I'm 44, you know? I mean, I'm sore if I got to go up the stairs a couple times a day. He's playing football. Um, it's amazing, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, well, that's just that's just kind of like Tom Brady. So, you know, hats off to him, and um, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of wonderful to have this matchup. You know, this whole year of all sports has just been, you know, kind of disappointing for us fans, and there's been so much, so much with the pandemic, and it's like, what, I mean, what a heck of uh, the storylines we got, you know, the GOAT versus the guy that m- might have a chance to be the next GOAT and to do it in Tampa in their home field, all these all these interesting storylines. I kind of feel like as sports fans, we deserve this matchup. Matt, I think one of the rosters that you were on that doesn't get enough credit for the offense that you had, and by the way, we're talking with Matt Burke, former NFL center, two-time All-Pro, former or a Super Bowl champion as well with the Ravens in 2012. That 98 Vikings offense was unbelievable. Here in St. Louis, we remember the Rams offense in the early 2000s with the greatest show on turf. You've got the 07 Patriots. When you look against at this Chiefs offense and what they've done the last three years compared to some of those over the last 25 years or so, where does it rank for you among the best? The Chiefs, oh, I think it's, I mean, yeah. maybe maybe the best show on turf uh, that first that first year, maybe that's a little bit better than the Chiefs, but I just think that's because the Chiefs kind of seem to have this thing where the regular season they're sort of they're playing about eighty five percent. You know, they're kind of like this year is kind of like let's just let's make sure we you know we win, which we will, and and be as healthy as we can, and then flip a switch in the playoffs, which I think they've done. Have you seen um, that before, remember, Matt? Do you, do you remember any other teams that have done that? Um, yes, I feel like I do. It was never, never the Patriots, which is probably why they won so often. But, um, I'm trying, I'm trying to think who is, I mean, I guess, you know, when Philadelphia had their run going in the NFC, it kind of felt like that, you know, they just, they just want to make sure they win. They're not trying to necessarily put up 40 a game, but like with the 98 Vikings, when, when they injected, when, when we got Randy Moss or, um, you know, with the greatest show on turf, when it's new and you're like, oh my gosh, we have something super special here. It's like these offensive coaches, it, it's like a brand new toy. You know, and they are, or it's like you get a brand new sports car. It's like, let's take this thing out and see how fast it can go. And I feel like there was times where, like when, I, when in 98 with Brian Billick, when we got Randy Moss, it was like, oh my gosh, we could be special. And so we would go out there and try to put up 40 on everybody just because it was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. Matt, uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs perspective, again, uh, you mentioned Tyree Kill a little bit ago. The other one that I'm so interested in the Super Bowl, again, is Travis Kelsey. Uh, watching this guy perform, it feels like there's no way to stop him on the field. You're right. Uh, he's, just, he's just a matchup nightmare. And it doesn't, you know, where, where Tyree Kill does stuff and you just kind of drop your jaw like, oh my gosh, how is somebody that fast and that quick and beat somebody that bad? Travis just like, he runs up on the linebacker. He cuts in and he's open and he catches the ball, but he does it like every single time. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, he's he's a matchup nightmare. Now it will be interesting because these two inside linebackers for the Bucks, um, David and White, these guys are as an impressive of duo as there is. They're big, they're physical, they can run, and so that's gonna be that's gonna be intriguing. I mean, I think you always have to give the edge to Travis Kelsey in a matchup. But I wouldn't be surprised if these guys are able to, to to break up a few passes or at least make it really difficult for Travis to operate in the middle of the field. 
Matt, I know you're doing something pretty cool with super squares. We've all done the squares game, right? Beyonce came home last night and she's like, I got my numbers for the Super Bowl. <laughs> she's got seven and zero. So she got some decent numbers. What are you wow. doing with this super squares? What are you doing with them right now? I've never had seven zero. I normally get nine and five. Uh, you tell t- tell your fiance that yeah, that's great for her, but that's but that game's pretty lame. That's your daddy's squares game. <laughs> super squares. Super squares is a brand new game and it's a riot. Okay, it's it's predictor squares. So the app is free. You download the app. You make three predictions about the game, and then you get a super square. A super square is four number combinations, not just one. So you're not stuck with a set of bad numbers for the whole game. But then every quarter, you get a new super square. So you get four new numbers. So it's always changing. You're, you've always got a chance with one of one of your numbers to, to get a match. If you only match one number, you get partial credit. If you bat, match both numbers, that's a perfect square. And in today's day and age of pandemic and social distancing, uh, our platform allows you to play against everybody in the country. And that's why we're able to have a... million prize pool up for grabs. The biggest prize pool of any free-to-play game in the App Store. Looking forward to it. I'll be checking that out on Sunday. Matt, last thing for you. Do you have a prediction for this one? Do you have a side that you're leaning toward? You know, my my head says Tampa Bay with Brady and and the injuries that the Chiefs have up front, but but my heart says Kansas City. I just think there's something about this Mahomes guy, and uh, I'm a big Andy Reid fan, um, and so I, I... I don't know why, but I'm thinking it's like a it's like a 34-31 Chiefs win. I like it. I'm a Chiefs fan, grew up in KC, so I like the way that you're thinking there, Matt. All the best to you and the family, man. man enjoy. Looking forward to checking out this Super Squares, and we'll talk with you again soon. He's Matt Burke. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it, guys. Be good. You got it. That's Matt Burke joining us here on 101 ESPN, former NFL center. I like the way he's leaning there. Are we going to just keep tallies of all of our guests this week of, oh, Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs? I got to say, the Cardinals had great timing for our audience. Yes, Because there would have been so much Chiefs conversation on this show this week. But there's been almost none. Thank God for the Cardinals and the Blues. Yeah, the the Cardinals going out and acquiring one of the best players in baseball certainly saved our audience from a miserable, (laughs) miserable week having to deal with me leading into the Super Bowl. This would be miserable because BK can't lose. It's his two favorite people in the world on either side. It really is incredible that I became Tom Brady guy. I don't know how I painted myself into this corner, but here we are with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 1215. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. All right. I would say the number one text, the most common text that we have received since the Cardinals officially traded for Nolan Arenado was Hey, are the Cardinals going to make another move now? (laughs) We'll go ahead and answer that question coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I I think simply put, um, we might not be done. I mean, we're still looking at things that, that, might transpire between now and the time we get down to Jupiter. There's always opportunities and we're going to continue to keep looking. But with the addition of, of Nolan, we, we think, you know, we went from a, a good to great team. When you look at all the things we possibly could have done this offseason, um, you know, clearly our target was Nolan and we were able to get it. And you know, we, we hope it is a difference maker. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. That, of course, was John Mosellock yesterday as the Cardinals officially introduced their new third baseman, Nolan Arenado. From the 314, 
Guys, have we given up negotiations with Colton Wong since Edmonds going to be at second? Who do you think the Cardinals will add next after they've added Arenado to the fold? All right, Alex, Tanner, let's go ahead and discuss this. It's probably the number one thing we've been asked since the end of the press conference with Mo, since he made these comments saying, hey, we might not be done yet. Do you think the Cardinals are done? Or do you think that, as he said that, John Mosellock had something in mind that the Cardinals are actually planning to do here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, Yadier Molina. I, I, look, I know people want Colton Wong, and I know they have some money now that they can spend, but now don't take this the wrong way, but why Colton Wong? I mean, Tommy Edmond is on this team and their projections for Tommy Edmond, their expectations for Tommy Edmond are he can be an everyday player. And that's no disrespect to Colton Wong. Colton Wong is a gold glove winner. Colton Wong should be desired back in St. Louis. But you've gotten Arenado. Now you need to begin this transition into a World Series contender. I know Colton Wong helps with that, but Tommy Edmond might be able to help with that too. And everyday playing time for Tommy Edmond could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. You could learn that this guy was nothing. And then guess what? You got to go out there and fix that spot. But in my opinion, if you bring back Colt Wong, then you're kind of pigeon-toeing Tommy Edmond, and you're not going to get out of him what you hope. So is there another move? Yeah, Yadier Molina. And I think from there, it's going to be maybe a couple of non-roster invites to spring training to see if you can compete for a spot. But I think this roster is set post-Yadier Molina. I think Yachty's the first guy that came to mind for me. I think a deal's going to get done with him. When? I'm not sure, but I think a deal will get done with Yachty or Molina. I guess the question is, and Tanner, I don't know if you you had any thoughts on this as well. Then what? Is that it? And if it is, is that good enough? And if not, what is the next thing for them? And is it now? Or is, is Mo kind of taking the long-term view of saying, hey, we might not be done adding to this roster whether that be now or by the trade deadline. This isn't something where he has to make a decision in the immediate future. Yeah, I I, I don't know what they're going to do, though, if that makes sense. I just don't see where you're going to... The only place that I really see a need for improvement, I don't think we're going to get the left-handed bat in the outfield. I, I think the one thing that I see that could be a weakness, looking offensively, is who's going to be the guy that you can rely on to come off the bench, give you good production. That way you don't have to play DeYoung 160 games or whatever it was in the last full season because we've seen the fatigue really wear on him. Again, Arenado and or Arnado and Goldschmidt, I don't think you're going to have to worry about. Those guys will be fine. It's the Edmund and the DeYoung. Who's going to be able to play middle of the infield to get those guys rest? And that's why I like Jonathan Scope. And I think he makes it. he's like a 20-homer guy in his career on average. I'm not saying he has to start. Maybe he wants to start. And if he does want to start, I'd be okay with Edmund coming off the bench as that guy that could play short, play second, and maybe even come in and play in the outfield a little bit too. By the way, one quick thing to pass along. Ken Rosenthal literally just tweeted this moments ago saying the Brewers are in discussions with free agent second baseman Colton Wong. Not clear at this point whether a deal is close or not. If it's getting out that they are in discussions, I would imagine that a deal is not far away. So it is possible that that is where Colton Wong ends up going boy that's a gut punch from Colton telling the Cardinals but hey you're not gonna resign me I head over to Milwaukee I think if he if they don't resign him though I I think it's on the Cardinals side of things I I'm gonna be very interested to see what the salary looks like for him if it ends up being 
five, six, seven million dollars. I think that's the Cardinals saying they weren't interested in Colton more so than Colton saying I didn't want to come back to St. Louis. Yeah, I think that's saying we need to see what Tommy Edmond is as an everyday player, and that's where we're at. Look, I understand your thoughts, T Bone, of who's going to spell Paul DM because those are my thoughts as well. Look, you're not worried about first and third base anymore. Maybe the occasional day off, but those guys, are, I would imagine, are going to be playing 140, 150 games this season for the Cardinals. I, I think there's a conversation, one, with Matt Carpenter that says, look, if you're not going to be DH, you might be going back to second base. That's going to be his spot. You're going to get a lot of innings from Edmundo Sosa, I think, this season in those opportunities to spell Paul DeYoung and also to spell Tommy Edmond because Tommy Edmond can play outfield as well. And you've talked about this before, BK, of why not make sure this guy can get some innings in the outfield. Now, you got to find out what the five, six players you have in that situation are. But I wrote down kind of a roster look, and look, right now, your five bench players are going to be Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, Matt Carpenter, Edmundo Soso, and Andrew Kisner. That's with Yadier Molina being re-signed. Is it the best bench? No, but, I mean, it definitely gives you options and possibilities to move guys around because Tommy Edmond is a multi-utility player that you can play in the outfield and give guys days off. But more importantly, you've got a couple of infielders that can spell and play each position if you need them to. Yeah, I think uh, I think what you said with Sosa makes a lot of sense. I would bet that that's the guy they go with as the utility infielder. And Matt Carpenter can be used in some of those roles as well. If there's going to be somebody playing shortstop, it's certainly not going to be uh, Matt Carpenter. But I think that's going to be Sosa's job, right? Sosa spells Paul DeYoung whenever he needs a day off. Yeah. Matt Carpenter play can play either first, not well, but can play first, second, or third. And then in the outfield, you've got a million different options right now. Yeah. If they are going to add one more player, I think it is dependent upon... Uh, or reliant upon, honestly, whether or not there's going to be a DH in the National League this year. If there is, maybe they go out and add another lefty bat because then you can kind of mix that guy in with your outfield slash DH rotation. If there's not, though, I kind of think it's just it's for right now. I think they add Yachty and then they go into the regular season with this roster as is currently constructed. And then I think you get some answers, right? It is, are you going to see a step taken by Harrison Bader, by Lane Thomas, by Tyler O'Neill? Does Dexter Fowler look okay? Matt Carpenter, is he the guy that we saw last the last two years? Or can he revert a little bit back to the guy that he previously was? Is Edmundo Sosa up for the challenge of being your utility infielder? If not, okay, maybe we need to upgrade there. I think the Cardinals want to get some answers on the guys that they currently have in-house. Justin Williams, another guy. Let's Let's find some answers out there. And if the answers come back in the negative, maybe they go acquire a guy in mid-July. But if you get positive answers on those guys, okay, well, then there's no need to add from the outside. The one guy that would potentially throw this into flux, I still think Brett Gardner makes a lot of sense for this team. He's a lefty outfielder, played for the Yankees. I think he's going to resign there. I I still believe he's going to resign there. But if he doesn't, he's a guy that makes a ton of sense for this team back end of his career, 37 years old this season, probably could get him as a backup outfielder platoon guy plays against right-handed pitching. He, he makes some sense if they wanted to go that route. So you mentioned, I'll stick with the outfield here with Williams. They want to figure out what they have in Williams. And then with Sosa, I kind of like Sosa. The problem I have is if you're not going to give him enough well, not the, not enough Sufficient. consistent consistent playing time and i'm not saying oh we got to start sosa to see what he's going to be you got to start williams in the outfield it's hard to come off the bench once every 5 days 6 days 
and show what you can do because your timing's off. You're going up against guys throwing 97-mile-an-hour fastballs, and then they've got a breaking ball. That's why I think it's going to be really tough for the Cardinals to evaluate those guys like Sosa, like Williams, if they're not playing consistently. And again, I'm not saying... That's the role, though. Yeah, that's, that's what they project you, to be, you know? So you've got to take advantage. Can, can I throw an interesting name that I just found that I think sure. could make sense? No. It's kind of a It's kind of a reunion, but hear me out. On the infield... Brad Miller. No, I do like Miller, but no. Uh... <laughs> Greg Garcia, free agent. He could play backup short. He's done that in St. Louis. He hit about 250. His career, he's about a 250 hitter. He was in uh, San Diego the last two seasons, had about the same numbers. He might be an interesting reunion, in my opinion. I don't know that it's a significant upgrade, but yeah, I think that's fine. That's the kind of name, right? If they're going to go out and add, I think it's a guy like that, that you're probably getting on a veteran minimum type of a deal. They can play all over the infield. Or you're inviting to spring training. Yeah, non-roster invitee, something like that. I think those are probably the types of players that you're potentially looking at going into spring training. If they're going to add anything of significance, I think it comes at the deadline this year. I think it's Yadier Molina now. Figure out what you have, and then at the deadline, there's lefty bats galore available every year from non-contenders at the deadline. So they'll they'll be able to acquire one of those guys if they really need to. And real quick, don't overlook the opportunity, too, of the first month into the season if there's guys still on the free agent market. We've seen that in the last couple of years, right, where they go out there and they just sign a guy who's been waiting for a long time. Uh, What's-his-face over in the Cubs did that, the closer, was waiting Greg there. Holland did that with Greg the Cardinals. Holland with the Cardinals now didn't work out great, but don't be surprised if that first month of the season and says, okay, we need an upgrade and goes and signs somebody for cheap. He's Alex Ferrari. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, I'm very excited about this. Nolan Arenado's agent, Joel Wolf, is going to join the show. I want to ask him about how involved he was with the Nolan Arenado negotiations to come here to St. Louis and what was Nolan Arenado's initial reaction when Joel Wolf told him, hey, it's a possibility that you could actually go to St. Louis this time around? What was Arenado's reaction to that? We'll talk to Joel Wolf, Nolan Arenado's agent, when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Nolan Arenado's agent. He is Joel Wolf joining us in the show. You're on the show via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joel, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. And what I would imagine is an unbelievably busy week for you. How you doing today? Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm uh, fired up for Nolan and the Cardinals. Um, I think this is a great fit, and uh, I'm excited to see the rest of Nolan's career because I think that his best days are ahead of him. I know Cardinals fans are certainly sharing a lot of those sentiments with you. So let, let's start with this. How involved were you in these negotiations as Arenado's agent? Well, in normal situations, uh, we have to be in the background. Um, but this one was a little bit more unique. Uh, and there were so many different levers and moving parts. And uh, I think that my previous relationship with Mo and um, being a Cardinal myself a long time ago, uh, I had a little bit more maybe feel and understanding for the situation and the Cardinal way. But Nolan has wanted to be a Cardinal for a very long time. Um, So when we set out 
uh, on this trade endeavor, um, that was always his focus. There were certainly many other teams involved, but what he was constantly telling me privately was he wanted to be a Cardinal. Yeah, so, so let me go. My job was here. Let me go into that, Joel. First of all, I didn't even know that you were a former Cardinal, so we're going to have to talk about that as we move along. But how much? How well, benefit? Sorry, I should say an, an Arkansas traveler. Okay, I was an Arkansas traveler <laughs> that's good. Way. That's good. Um, how how important was the were those relationships with John Mozeliak and the Cardinals to be able to get into those conversations? And what was that conversation like with Nolan when you were able to tell him that hey, St. Louis is interested in acquiring you? When he heard that St. Louis was seriously interested, it actually came from the Rockies first, uh, you know, because that's the normal channel of communication. Um, I, I don't think he took it seriously. Like, in his mind, it was almost too good to be true um, because there had been a lot of bumps in the road along the way. We had explored this last offseason, um, and it looked like he might be headed another direction, and then it didn't happen. And there was just so much uncertainty uh, going into this process, especially with COVID and the shortened season and the way teams had reacted economically and how much trouble we were having early on with our free agents. Because, um, you know, one of DJ's best friends, we also represented DJ, uh, I'm sorry, one of Nolan's best friends, DJ LeMahieu, you know, they were talking all along and we were seeing how the market seemed to start out very depressed, but then as it started to bounce back in free agency, a positive, positive effect for Nolan and the Cardinals. I'm curious, Joel, what were the biggest obstacles that had to be overcome in this deal, whether it be from your perspective, the Cardinals' perspective, the Rockies, what were those obstacles that had to be overcome? I'd say the biggest one was the contract, that it was essentially Nolan being out in free agency with a fixed price of the remaining six for 199 and that the Cardinals could not take on a contract of that size, but that if they could work with the Rockies and work with us to make it more palatable, both as paid that maybe there, you know, could be some runway to make a deal. And from the outset, Nolan expressed that he was willing to be as flexible as possible uh, to make this happen. And we also had the issue of the opt out. Um, because, you know, if the Cardinals were going to be taking on a contract like this and giving up, you know, a package of players, which I think is a better package of players than they've been given credit for, um, it was going to be our, our biggest obstacle. So the team had to feel assured that if things went well, no one would be willing to stay. So let me ask you about that then, Joel, because I know a lot of people in St. Louis, they're they're ecstatic about this player, but they are a little concerned about the opt-outs, wondering if he's going to look into free agency after the first or second year. You know Nolan better than anybody. Does this seem like the right fit for Nolan Arenado to where he's going to remain here for the length of that contract? I really do. You know, when Nolan and I talked about the opt-out with the Rockies when we were doing his deal, it was similar to what when we talked with Stanton and the Marlins, it was a shield, not a sword, meaning it was there to protect him in the event things went really wrong and he was very unhappy, not a sword to use to make more money. So if Nolan goes out and has a Arenado season and he's top five or top three in MVP, he's only that's only going to make him want to stay even more. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, as far as financially, that, that won't even be a concern. He's here to win. Nolan wants to play in games that matter every single day. And everything that he's learned about the Cardinals, you know, through Matt Holliday, who is probably his biggest influence on bringing him here, but um, through other players over the years, you know, has told them that this is the best place to be. We're talking with Joel Wolf, Nolan Arenado's agent here on 101 ESPN. Joel, you've said a few times he was very interested in coming to St. Louis, and that was kind of the direction that he wanted to go. You private to, privately told you that he wanted to be a Cardinal. Were there other teams that he was potentially interested in, or was, was this a situation where all along Arenado's mind was kind of set on being a St. Louis Cardinal? There were other teams that he had interest in and were interested in him, but in Nolan's mind, it was only constructed as if if the Cardinals thing can't happen, then I will look at more seriously at these other teams. It wasn't a situation where he looked at them all equally. The Cardinals have always been on a pedestal for him, um, and he was very clear about that both with me and with the Cardinals. And I think it made a big difference to Mr. DeWitt um, to know that the guy really wanted to be there. And, you know, we had an awkward experience with Stanton. um, So I think that gave them some pause. But when they saw just how sincere Nolan's interest was, I, I think that's what pushed it over the edge. So, so Joel, let me ask this because last year, you mentioned it, this has kind of been an ongoing conversation for Arenado with the Rockies and the Cardinals. Did fatigue start to set in for Nolan when basically just all this frustration just kind of kept building up and the deal couldn't get done last year because of the pandemic? Was fatigue starting to set in for him and then finally that relief of now he doesn't have to be concerned about it anymore? It, it is such an enormous weight that's been lifted. Um, from Nolan, like he feels like he climbed Mount Everest and then got back down again, and it's all behind him. But that's what the, when you talk about the obstacles in the earlier question you asked me, that's what it felt like for us, that this was something we really didn't believe would ever happen. Um, And thankfully, the hard work and grace of the Rockies owner, Dick Mumford, um, and then, you know, with Mo and Mr. DeWitt, just putting this thing together, now Nolan has it all behind him this weight has been lifted and he's so fired up he's so excited and looking forward he can't wait to get to spring training um like he was even saying he might just get in his car and drive to jupiter (laughs) that's how excited he is Nolan Arenado's agent joel wolf joining us here on bk and ferrario i i did want to ask you joel why the cardinals like I, i know he's interested in this team but but why specifically this organization this city this team why was nolan arenado so interested in playing here i'd say the first two things are dj lemayhew opened his eyes to what it was like that the grass might actually be greener um and being able to get out of the altitude and the effect that that has on the body and you know come july and august you're just you're not tired you feel fresh and you actually feel fresher than the other guys and being in an organization where every game matters because these teams are winning and constantly trying to win. Not that the Rockies weren't, they had some really bad luck, but uh, that was part of it. And then, you know, every year Nolan spends a week or two at the holiday family uh, compound. Um, And, you know, Matt is his mentor 
and has really convinced him that Nolan would be such a great fit for the Cardinal way. And Nolan is a baseball rat. That's all he really does. It's all he really thinks about. You know, he sits and eats dinner with a bat in his hands. Um, he never stops working. And this is this is what he wanted. He just visualized himself as a Cardinal, and it felt right to him. So should we be sending, like, edible arrangements to Matt Holiday oh. or uh, Christmas cards every year? <laughs> it, 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 was Definitely. he really that big of an influence on this decision for Arenado? You know, every young player, most of them are not born rock stars like, you know, Bryce Harper. You know, Nolan was a second rounder. He had to grind his way through the minors. And as he goes through, you know, the minors and then gets to the majors, you have people who are influencing them and people who show them the way and how to work and all that. And he just really connected with Matt Holliday like he did with Tulowitzki and, you know, Todd Helton and some others. But Holiday really connected with him mentally and understood Nolan. You know, Nolan's like a it, – it, it's like you just got Eddie Van Halen, you know, or, or Jimi Hendrix. These these guys are rare birds and rare talents, and they also – they think differently. And I think Matt just really connected with him and understood what would be best for him. I did want to ask you, because as as a player agent, you are an advocate for Nolan Arenado, right? I understand the position that you are in. For Cardinals fans, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you make the full sell here. What kind of a player, what kind of a person are the Cardinals acquiring right now in Nolan Arenado? Go ahead and get these fans excited, because they've certainly had plenty of that over the last few days. <laughs> I've done a lot of this lately, and, you know, like I was telling Mo, I don't have to sell him to you anymore because now he's yours. Um, Nolan has next-level intensity and work ethic, and I know that these are thrown around as cliches, but you're, you'll know it when you see it. And the intensity that he brings, the, the minute he steps in the clubhouse, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, um, to what he does on the field, and how much he just will consistently bring it. And he's never, ever satisfied. He is never satisfied. If he got four hits, he thinks he should have got five. If he got four hits and the team loses, he's pissed. He's just looking for every little thing that he can do on defense, on offense, to help the team win. And when he feels that he doesn't have to be the only guy in the lineup, um, to make the team win, I think we're going to see a level of Nolan we haven't seen before. Well, perfect sell on that one, Joel, because you just got me excited. By the way, before we let you go, uh, <laughs> I am looking at the the numbers from the Arkansas Travelers for you, and you know you might be the perfect player that the Cardinals are looking for. Also, Joel, <laughs> I mean, you were an outfielder, you got a career two seventy five batting average, an OPS of seven fifty three. Uh, you sure you don't want to make like a Rick Ankiel comeback yeah. and play outfield for the Cardinals with Nolan? Pretty solid on base percentage here, three sixty two. You were just before your time. That's all yeah. this was, Joel. Yeah, I, before OPS was cool, you know, I was putting those numbers up, and then I got to Double A. I got I was the player to be named later, to be named later, to be named later at the Stottlemyre deal um, when Walt Jockety brought me over. But you know that I got to meet George Kissel in spring training, and this guy was in the dugout and telling stories about Babe Ruth and Stan Musial and the old players. And one thing I told Nolan is the Cardinals have a certain way about them and also they bring these these old older 
Hall of Famers and great players, they have them around all the time. Like Nolan got to meet Ozzie Smith at the Gold Glove Dinner several times, and he loves that. He's a guy that when Nolan is hitting and he's working out at his dojo in Southern California, he's got all these TVs up, and they're all playing YouTube videos of the greatest defensive plays by third baseman. He's got Brooks Robinson up there, you know, the best home runs. He has it around him all the time. This guy lives, breathes baseball. That's I think that will really excite him. He's Joel Wolf. We are certainly excited to have his player, Nolan Arenado, his client, Nolan Arenado here in St. Louis. Joel, I will go ahead and speak on behalf of St. Louis. Thank you for yes. finally getting this done. Uh, Cardinals fans are thrilled to have Nolan Arenado in the birds on the bat. And man, I hope we can get 40,000 fans in the stands to watch that guy because yeah, heck, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun this year. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to the Cardinals fan base today. And we'll talk to Mo about getting you in the outfield for this upcoming season too, Joel. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I'll be there. I'll be in shape. Awesome. Sounds good. That is Joel Wolf joining us here on 101 ESPN. Nolan Arenado's agent, MLB player agent for Wasserman. And that was, I've just sent six edible baskets to Matt Holiday just to, during this interview. Like, so, people don't understand the influence that he had on this move, BK. I underestimated the influence yeah. that he had on this. I knew that Matt Holiday was close with Nolan Arnado. We all did, right? Like that's not some private information that I got. He said as much. Um, and every time that we had him on over the last, what, four years, we have asked him, Hey, you know about, so about that guy that your buddies with Nolan Arnado, can, can you tell us a little bit about what he would be like here in St. Louis? And every time we talked to Holiday, he would say something to the effect of man, Nolan Arnado would be a great fit in St. Louis. I guess what I didn't understand was how much he was also telling that to Nolan Arenado and maybe more importantly, how much Nolan Arenado was listening to him because it sounds like that was the thing that at least got this thing and got this all in motion. Couple of the quotes. If you came in late, that was an awesome interview. Glad yeah. we were able to have Joel Wolf, Nolan Arenado's agent on the show. couple of the things that he said here, um, what he was telling me privately was that he always wanted to be a Cardinal. Um, he also added that the Cardinals could not take on a contract of the size of Nolan Arenado's if they weren't, if they didn't have that money thrown in. So that was part of why um, this is such a difficult deal to get done because it was it's essentially, there's a contract that exists. How do we change that contract? Yeah. And that's what the Cardinals are trying to do. Uh, he said that Nolan Arenado uh, expressed that he was willing to be as flexible as necessary um, the opt-outs said, don't be too worried about that. That is a shield, not a sword. That was big. It is basically there to be in defense of Nolan Arenado because he didn't trust the Rockies. Let's be honest. And then if the Cardinals, for whatever reason, decided, Hey, we're not going to try to win anymore. It's there to protect Nolan Arenado against mm -hmm. that. I don't think they have to worry about it. Um, he also said that the Cardinals have always been on a pedestal for Nolan Arenado. And he feels like he just climbed Mount Everest and came out on the other I'm side. I'm telling you, you know, we, we've talked about it yesterday of Nolan Arenado wins, wins an MVP at some point with the Cardinals. After hearing that interview, I believe it's going to happen because Joel said it. He's going to be a brand new person on this field. The weight has lifted off of his shoulders from having to play in Colorado these last couple of years because of all of these circumstances. Imagine going to a team now where you have none of those concerns. You have an ownership that wants you here, a manager, general manager that wants you here, and you've got players around you that are going to make you better. This guy is going to be crucial to this Cardinals team in terms of championship caliber over the next five years. So we do have a little bit of news to pass along. 
Colton Wall has officially agreed to terms, according to John Morosi, with, with the Milwaukee Brewers. Damn. It is a, according to reports, multi-year deal okay. with Colton Wong uh, that he has agreed to. So that makes, makes sense. Good, good for Colton, yeah. honestly. Good for him to be able to find a squad where he's going to be in Milwaukee for not just this upcoming year, but for years to come, it sounds the like. The amount on the contract is going to be what Cardinals fans are going to look going and we don't know that yet but I can tell you this a multi-year deal I don't think was ever in the cards with with St. Louis pun intended I, I don't think Mo was ever looking at this as a multi-year deal for Colton Wong because of the minor league players that are still in the system right now I think this was look Colton if you want to come back for a year you can come back and build that stock going into next offseason but good for Colton to get the money that he feels he deserves if that's the case and the in the contract and the in the security any guesses uh, on what this contract is? We don't know right now. There are no reports yet as to what this contract is going to be. But if you had to guess what this contract will be, Ferrario, let's I start would with you. Say three-year deal. Let's go three-year, twenty-four million dollars total. I'm going to go three years, twenty-two. I'll take the under on twenty-four, just because we've seen so. Kike Hernandez got about seven, five, seven million dollars. We saw Jock Peterson in that seven million dollar range. We saw a few of the other utility infielders. Lastella, I think, was three and twenty-one. I think we see him get around twenty-two million dollars. Three years, twenty-two is what I'll go T-bone. with. I'm going three twenty-four. So we're all in that same type yeah. of range. Seven, eight, seven, eight million dollars over the course yeah. of a three-year. Someone deal. just said three years, thirty million. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see a thirty million. It's in. Oh. Fewer years, it's two years, okay. multi-year, so two years, $18 million. So nine and there is a third-year club option for the Brewers. That according to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Two years, $18 million, Colton Wong going to be a Milwaukee Brewer. It's more I'm money o- than I would have expected. I'm okay with that decision. For the Cardinals, I'm perfectly fine with them passing on this. Yeah, I like Colton Wong. He's I, I, I truly enjoy watching Colton Wong play. I think he's a fantastic defensive player and one of the more exciting defensive players to watch in the sport. $9 million per year over a two-year deal is something that I'm okay with the Cardinals moving on from because it means that they ended up being able to acquire a guy like Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Those two things have to be kind of discussed in the same light. Also, that's probably around the same money that we're going to be looking at for Yadier Molina. So yeah. if it's possible, if it is indeed the Cardinals had to make a decision, Yadi versus Wong, I think they made the right and one. And everyone's saying gold glove. We're getting the text here. Comfort service text line 65780. I understand you're losing a gold glove caliber, but guess what? You just added a gold glove caliber at a, at a, in my opinion, in a more a important position glove. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather have that gold glove at third third base right now going into this upcoming season. A little bit of an update as well. That third-year option, it looks like, is for about $7 million. So in total, it could be a three-year, $26 million deal if Colton Wong ends up getting all three years. That's yeah. pretty, pretty and close to And it's a club option, too. Yeah. So. So it's interesting. Uh, A lot of money for Colton Wong. Good for him for finding his new team. If you missed it, Colton Wong has officially signed a a two-year deal with a team option for a third year with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's two years, $19 million with the possibility of getting to that three-year, $26 million mark. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, it's clear that Nolan Arenado needed a fresh start after the conversation we just had. We'll react to some more of what Joel Wolf had to say and tell you why we think that this could be a special, special pairing between these this team and this player coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
It, it is such an enormous weight that's been lifted from Nolan. Like he feels like he climbed Mount Everest and then got back down again. And it's all behind him. But that's what the, when you talk about in the obstacle in the earlier question you asked me, that's what it felt like for us. That this was something we really didn't believe would ever happen. And he's so fired up. He's so excited and looking forward. He can't wait to get to spring training. Like he was even saying, he might just get in his car and drive to Jupiter. That's how excited he is. That was Nolan Arenado's agent, Joel Wolf, who joined us a little bit ago on the show. If you missed the interview, highly, highly recommend checking that one out. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. All of the podcasts are presented by I Promise. Man, the more I hear about the situation that Nolan Arenado was placed in in Colorado, the more that the comparison that we've made to Ryan O'Reilly feels apt. You just heard it right there from Joel Wolf. He felt like he climbed Mount Everest and came out on the other side. That's what it had to have felt like for O'Reilly in Buffalo. And then last night I was reading from Tom Verducci about the signings that the Rockies have made in recent years. Listen to this. Over the past three years, Colorado signed one major league free agent, Daniel Murphy, who was on his last legs. Since Arenado made his first all-star team in 2015, though, the Rockies have spent $281 million on 12 free agents. Virtually all of their decisions have been a total disaster, from breakout hitters without a position like Murphy, Indian Desmond, to veteran relievers on their way up to, uh, down the other side like Wade Davis, Jake McGee, Brian Shaw, Mike Dunn, Jason Mott. The Rockies have missed on all 12 free agents with the possible exception of a one-year $2.6 million deal for Mark Reynolds, end quote, that coming from Tom Verducci. That Woof. is not something that the Cardinals deal with. They miss on a free agent here and there. Absolutely. They also hit on some. I mean, you look at the signings that they made going into last year. KK was a a smashing success. Smashing? Smashing success, yeah, if Austin you will. Powers? You look at some of the guys that they have made. The Cardinals' devil magic is created off of signings like Mark Reynolds. Something like that happens for them every single year. Yeah. No one Arnado is going to feel like it's a whole new world out here. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. The, the mistakes that the Cardinals make, they do right by. They flip those players and they get something for it. Or they move on and they can make amends to that because they have the right depth. If I'm Nolan Arenado, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders because I'm around a team that knows how to build a champion. The Colorado Rockies, what, one World Series where they basically were knocked down and just punched as fast as possible? That's not this Cardinals team. They, they're not looking for saviors on the free agent market. They have the pieces in the minors. It's just their, their complementary pieces. They're not the piece. And now Nolan Ar Arenado is that piece. And he sees the ability to build around that. And look, you go to a team that makes the right moves. I mean, if Nolan Arenado is this much invested in St. Louis, and Joel Joel Wolf has said that, he's told us that it's like, look, he's been paying attention to this Cardinals team for a long time. He has seen the ability to draft players and turn them into significant pieces. He has seen the ability to flip a player for something else. He has seen John Moselak look at a Cardinals team and say, where's our weakness? Okay, let's go out and fix that. Jason Hayward, that was a weakness once Oscar Tavares passed away. Pitching, it was a weakness when they went out there and they signed a guy like KK and Miles Michaelis. First base, it was a weakness. He went out there and got a first baseman in Paul Goldschmidt. Marcelo Zuna, I can continue to do this. 
If I'm Arenado, that weight, that gorilla playing a piano on my shoulders, it's been lifted because of this team that I know knows how to run an organization. And Joel Spoel spoke to that about how Nolan Arenado has always had a respect for this specific organization. Here's what he had to say. There were other teams that he had interest in and were interested in him, but in Nolan's mind, it was only constructed as if if the Cardinals thing can't happen, then I will look at more seriously at these other teams. It wasn't a situation where he looked at them all equally. The Cardinals have always been on a pedestal for him, um, and he was very clear about that, both with me and with the Cardinals. And I think it made a big difference to Mr. DeWitt um, to know that the guy really wanted to be there. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. I also think, to your point about the Cardinals finding a way to fill those holes, the Cardinals' willingness to do whatever it took, and that's basically what they did here. They they exhausted all possible options for them to do whatever it took to bring in Nolan Arenado after spending more than a calendar year trying to make this happen with the Rockies. I think that speaks to Arenado as well. I mean, that is the single biggest thing that speaks to him is he knows how good he is. Let's be honest, right? He works his butt off. He makes sure that he continues to elevate his game. But Nolan Arenado knows how good he is. It's why he had the leverage to be able to get out of the situation that he was in in Colorado. So for the Cardinals to say, that's the guy that we want to go get, he's got to also see that, look in the mirror and say, wow, this team has Paul Goldschmidt, has a guy like Dylan Carlson coming up, has Jack Flaherty on the mound, Yadier Molina, Wayno want to come back because they know that there's a, an ability to win here. And they're now bringing me into that mix. That is something different than what he's ever had in Colorado. And so for him, Nick Groke, who joined us earlier today, said this as well. I, I think the Cardinals very well is crazy to say it's crazy. They might be getting the best version of Nolan Arenado because of all of these things that we've just discussed. Yeah, He's finally going to be able to have a clear head about, I'm not going to go out there and worry about what my future holds. I know what it holds. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be playing for this team, this organization, this fan base. Let's just go win some games now. And that's all he seems to care about based on everything that we've heard from everybody who's ever been around Nolan Arenado. It's, it's, it's seemingly the perfect fit. Just imagine working in a job that you love, but it's in, in a work condition that it's just, it's not desirable. So you go out there and you put your best, best foot forward because you want to be good at that job. But it's just, it doesn't match well with your personality. And then you find that dream place where you know that you click so well with everyone there. They want what you want. The best of you can come out. What happens? You have a different, you got a different push in you. You have a different intensity in you because of that. And you go out there and you perform like a superhuman. That's what they're getting with Nolan Arenado. I truly believe that because you've been desiring this place for so long. Joel said it like, This was number one on his list. Everyone else was, hey, if this falls through, then we can discuss. But I want this this spot. That seven-year contract, there's no opt-outs anymore. You can look at those opt-outs and say, oh, well, what if if he decides to leave? It's not happening because he wanted to be here. And that's why you're going to get an MVP talent. And Joel said, if he plays that way, if he plays like Nolan Arenado, 
that's just more of a reason to stay in St. Louis rather than hit the market again. Yeah, the only way that he opts out is if the Cardinals decide not to try to contend anymore. Well, let's be honest, it's not happening. No, um, not after that move. Even with the frustrations that we've had with this organization in recent years, they're going to be trying. I, I know that. They always are trying. And their level of try, while frustrating to some Cardinals fans, will be the most effort that has been put into a Nolan Arenado team to actually win at the big league level in his entire career. Like that's that's what he's walking into right now. Even when the Cardinals had their quote unquote down seasons, that that is better than most of what Arenado has seen in his time back in Colorado. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're gonna get to Are We Sure coming up here in just a minute. If you guys have anything for us for Are We Sure, you can get those in on the tax line at six five seven eight zero. Wanted to once again reset. If you missed the news just a little while ago, Ken Th- Ken Rosenthal is reporting that there is a new landing spot for Colton Wong. He has officially agreed to a two year. $18 million contract with the Brewers. That contract does have a third-year club option with Milwaukee. If it were exercised, it would be a three-year $26 million deal. So two years, $18 million, $9 million per each season. If he gets that team option in year three, three years, $26 million. We said this a little bit ago. Just go ahead and rehash it real quick. I'm okay with the Cardinals not making that move. Yeah, I would love to have Colton Wong here. I'm a little surprised by the money, honestly, given what we've seen the market looks like this offseason, especially his bat's good. He's got a great on-base percentage, but it's not like he's a slugger. Um, he's a very good defensive player, a wizard out there at times. I know that's a strong word he put in this market, but $18 million over two years guaranteed is, is probably a little more than I would have been willing to pay Colton Wong in this market. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm John Mozeliak, one, I know Tommy Edmond is kind of itching to get this starter everyday role where I think he's going to flourish at second base. And two, look, th- that would have been an upgrade for you without question having a gold glove winner there. But I don't know if I'm okay with a $9 million commitment over the next couple of seasons, and here's why. A lot of money's coming off of the book next year with Dexter Fowler and Andrew Miller and Carlos Martinez and Matt Carpenter. And if you want to go from a team that can fight for a contender with the Dodgers and Padres to a team that is actually a contender with the Dodgers and Padres, you got to spend that money in areas that are the weaknesses. And I think right now, weaknesses are the outfield. And we're hoping to get some answers. I want money committed towards that next year that's available rather than committed to a logjam of infielders. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're going to play a game of Are We Sure? coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service text line for are we sure guys are we sure the cardinals are done making moves yes well are we considering yachty a move uh, if if we exclude if we that, exclude yachty let's put it this way are we sure the cardinals are done acquiring players that didn't play for the team a year ago unless you know Does something minor league deal count no okay unless you know something that i don't know they're done so i am sure the cardinals are finished off-season wise there, there's going to be a non-roster invite somewhere there's going to be a couple of players that are going to come in and compete compete might go into some depth minor league c- contract signings other than yadi though i don't see any major league roster moves by this cardinals team i'm not sure 
I think there might be. I said a week before the air now deal, I said it off air. I said, guys, I wouldn't be shocked if Mo does something. I have this gut feeling he's going to blow my Look, socks Mike, off and do something. Mike Trout's not coming here. No, no, I'm not saying he does something big, but I'm saying he might do one of those moves where it's like, oh, huh, well, I didn't really expect that. So I'm not sure. I know. This, this damn game is not confusing. Hard. I'm not sure either. Um, I think the Cardinals still might make one. One more move. And I think the question is, is that a utility infielder? Your guy, Jonathan Scope. Could it be a left-handed outfielder? Andrew Benatendi? I don't think they're going to make another trade. Maybe Garcia. (laughs) No. I think we're overestimating what that would do for him. I I think he's basically Edmundo Sosa. Sosa's a really good defender. I mean, everything that we've seen scouting-wise suggests he's going to be a really good defensive player at the big league level. In opportunities. I think he's got some pop, too. The, the question is the bat. Yeah. The question is the bat. And we, we don't know if it plays at the big league level or not, but neither does Garcia. Greg, let's right. be honest here. Um, so I, I think no. that if you're going that route, I would probably rather just have the young potential upside player yeah. in Sosa. Outfield-wise, though, there's, there's still a couple of lefty bats there. The guy that I've been talking about lately is Brett Gardner, who if the Yankees decide not to bring him back... Makes a lot of sense as one last little hurrah you here. Went from Peterson Louis. to Brett Gardner. Listen, <laughs> I'm willing to lower my standards if you have Nolan Arenado. <laughs> if you've got Nolan Arenado, it, it changes uh, it changes your expectations well, a little bit for what they need there, to do. There goes the hope of ever getting Gardner on our show if he signs. He just said he's lowering his expectations. Well, from Jock Peterson, yeah, he's a 38-year-old outfielder. Hey, he's... Fast. He's a perfectly fine addition. Didn't he say, though, that it's the Yankees or retirement? I think he would come here. I, I don't know that to be true, but okay. I don't know if he would come uh, here. Okay. 65780 is the air comfort service tech slide for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure the Blues are going to trade Vince Dunn? I'm sure. Why? I, you clearly have his replacement in Mikola already. I, I think you're ready to move on from Dunn. He's cool. The last couple games, he's built up his value again. I think they could move Dunn. It removes some money off the cap for when Vladdy comes back. I see the Blues moving on from Dunn. I think Mikola is ready to take his spot on the roster. Yeah, this is an intriguing with Bortuzzo, who reportedly was skating today with the team because, look, all six guys are playing really solid right now. I don't know where Bortuzzo gets in. I'm not so sure that they're going to trade Vince Dunn, and here's why. One, I don't know if Doug Armstrong's going to get back what he feels he deserves for a guy like Vince Dunn. I, I mean, it was reported he wants a first-round draft pick or some type of player that that resembles that. Um, here's the other thing, though, guys. That expansion draft is going to be really intriguing for the Blues in terms of protection, because you're going to have to you're going to have to expose somebody that you do not want to lose. You're going to have to expose an Oscar Sundquist, possibly, or a Jaden Schwartz, possibly, or an Ivan Barbashev, possibly. Let's do this real quick. So the defenseman that you're going to expose next year, so you're going to protect Pareko, Falk, Krug. Krug. So that it would expose Bortuzzo, Gunnarsson, who's a free agent. Scandella. Scandella is the big one. And, and done Vince if Dunn, if he's still around. So this is why I don't know if I would move Vince Dunn, because look, if you don't want to lose a Oscar Sundquist or a Jaden Schwartz, if you keep a Vince Dunn exposed, who is very interesting to another team like Seattle, they might take him and be sidestepped away from some of their other players. How much does this matter? I hope I'm saying the right name as I think of this real quick. Wallman. Jake Wallman. How much does it matter if he's close to being ready? He's not a guy you make decisions based Look, on. Jake Wallman's a left-handed shot. He's on the taxi squad. 
but he is so far down that depth chart that, look, you already have eight defensemen right now on the roster. Two can't get in. Scott Perunovic, who's in the AHL, on top of that, Nico Mikola. Jake Wallman is a great depth player to have, but Jake Wallman, in my opinion, is kind of like Jordan Schmaltz, if everyone remembers that name. He's a defenseman who could never crack the lineup and a defenseman who finally was just said, look, it's going to work out somewhere else. I'm not saying crack. I'm not saying put him in your with your sixth defenseman. I'm saying that's why if you think he's good depth, then I'm not afraid to lose someone to the expansion draft and lose Dunn well, or trade Dunn. And I don't know if Wallman would go in that expansion draft. I'd have to look at it, but he hasn't played as many NHL games to where he would be in that exposed situation. From the 636, that's why you trade Dunn for something before you lose him for nothing. Look, if you lose him for nothing in the expansion draft, you didn't lose him for nothing because you were able to protect other players that you didn't want to lose. The other thing they're going to have to look at is the forwards as well. As much as we talk about Don and Scandella, so you've got O'Reilly, Thomas, Kairou, Sonny. That's four. Shin, Tarasenko. That's six. And that's all you can protect. So it, now you've got Perron exposed I once didn't even again. Think of that. You can't expose him. Now you've got Jaden Schwartz. If you're going to re-sign him, exposed. That's not going to happen. And if you don't expose one of those guys well then you have to take one of these guys off the list it means Sonny might be exposed going into next year and that's why i think dunn might be an asset for you in an expansion draft so you don't lose you can't lose an oscar sundquist just like you can't lose a david perron the interesting factor is what happens with schwartz in that scenario so to long-winded answer to this no i am not sure that he's going to be traded because i think there are other ways to be for him to be useful to this team this season to answer my portion on this i'm pretty sure he's going to be traded the biggest thing has nothing to do with the expansion draft and everything to do with the cap situation right now they've got to get a little relief before vladimir tarasenko is going to be able to return and the easiest way to do that while also acquiring an asset at a spot where you're already pretty deep as you mentioned is if you were able to go ahead and trade vince dunn especially if you're if you're able to get the asset that you deem worthy of dealing him Mm because you've you've still got Perunovic you've got Bortuzzo potentially coming back Um, Mikola has proven now he can play every night that's a guy that can be in your lineup and you feel pretty good about it so I I think I'm pretty sure they're going to trade him um, at least by the end of this season by the way Doug Armstrong who will be on the fast lane coming up at 330 did make some comments earlier today on Vladimir Tarasenko said Tarasenko's shoulder is not 100% but it is at a point where the safety mechanisms are in place. He can skate, he can receive passes, he can make passes and shoot to a level of his comfort. He's still a ways away. We won't see him for a number of weeks, but he is on the right track. Are we sure Vladimir Tarasenko, when he does get back, is going to be playing top six minutes, though, Alex? That's a great question. Yes, I'm sure he's going to be playing top six minutes because it's Vladimir Tarasenko. You're not who you taking out. Great question. Because <laughs> um, it's Perron or Kyrou. Those are your options. You're yeah. going to be playing right wing, and your options right now are to break up Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron or break up the Shin Schwartz Kyrou line. You're not breaking up that Shin Schwartz Kyrou line. I don't care what anybody says. So you're not sure. I am, though, because you're. Tarasenko is not going to come back and play 10 minutes for you. Well, no, he'll play on that third line. But he's going to be getting top six minutes. He's going to get more minutes than the other players. What I could see possibly happening is shifting Perron to the left wing. I know he doesn't like it, but they're going to do everything they can to get Vladdy involved with play. But even if he is on that third line with Hoffman and Thomas, he's going to be playing 
a little bit more minutes than some of the other lines if he's playing to the level that they need him to play at. That all comes with what kind of Tarasenko comes back with this one. But I'm not sure because I also am very There's a curious. lot of stuff going on right now. I'm really curious what this means for Mike Hoffman. He looked better last night, oh. and they played him on the, on the right side. He's about to, to heat up, boys. It's it's not a surprise that they put him back on that off wing, and suddenly he starts looking a little better again. That's where he started things out early in the season, and they flipped him over to the left side. He struggled. Flip him back over to the right. Looked good again last night. I'm very interested to see how they juggle these things because... Peron, Kairou, Hoffman are all at their best on the right wing. So is Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't know how you manage that. I, they'll figure this is a good problem to have. Great you have problem too to many have. really good forwards right now. But man, that is going to be an interesting dilemma for Craig Berube whenever he does return. The answer we always get in these circumstances, this is the, the typical Craig Berube answer, it'll work itself out. True. And it really does in the NHL where like, look, somebody's not playing well at that time. Maybe they've taken a step back. Maybe they need to change the scenery. Maybe an injury pops up. Maybe guys need rest. That will work itself out for Vladimir Tarasenko along with this roster. But I have to do some juggling. Somebody is going to have to accept a different role. And it's just a matter of them playing to the level they need to be playing for them to have that work. I think your idea of Perron on the left wing is the one that makes the most sense to me. It's just a matter if he's still effective. Because if you get the Hoffman treatment of yeah. Perron on the left wing and he's not working well, you got to have Mike Hoffman. Like, you have to have him. Or I'm sorry, you have to have... David Perron playing to the level because otherwise it takes that threat away scoring wise. I I'm not sure Tarasenko gets the top six minutes just because I'm happy with what we have with the top two well, lines. That's because so you far. think Kairou is the next Tarasenko. I mean, it's partly true. <laughs> yes, it's, it's starting to be more difficult to disagree <laughs> with what he said there. I know that's the scary part. I can't agree with T-Bone on that, but it's starting to be a little frightening. And with your point on what do you do with Vladdy when he comes back, I think you play him on the right side and move Hoffman back to the left. Just because right now we know that Vladdy is going to be here long term, you don't know about Hoffman. That's the only reason I say that right right now. Yeah. It's and I think, I think Hoffman's comfortability will be left or right wing. It's just being able to feel out this Blues team more. I don't think it's wing specific in terms of his offhand or his, the left side. I think it's more of just comfortability on the ice. I'm trying to figure out if I love or hate Thomas, though. I love it for Thomas, but I hate it for those two because I feel like one or the other is just not going to want to shoot the puck. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if I love or hate that, especially defensively. That that one could go... They have to be really yeah. damn good offensively to be able to make that That's one work. stressful. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the voice of the Blues. Let's ask him about this. Chris Kerber, what does he think the Blues do with Vladimir Tarasenko when he returns? Does he just immediately get plugged back into top six minutes on that right wing? Well, that's Chris Kerber coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. If he had gone wide, we'd reference Barry Sanders. Yep. Parked over to Falk. He stick handles one. Lake Sanders. He's in the middle. He scores. <laughs> what a call by the one and only the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Curbs joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Curbs, that had to be right up there with your favorite calls you've ever had, right? 
<laughs> we were BK, we were having some fun last night and it's last night was one of those kind of crazy games as a broadcaster where it's sort of like you mentioned something and then something happened right around it. You know, like we said, Mike Hoffman's still sitting on his first goal and then boom, they get it. And the blues don't have a four on four goal yet. And boom, they got it. So, uh, that, that one, I, I cannot believe that the move that Justin Falk made. And then right after the reference, we had made to Barry Sanders. So it's, uh, it, it was fun. It just kind of came out, and I, I've just kind of learned to to just kind of go with whatever bounces in your head as something hits. And sometimes it sounds awful, and sometimes it's funny. And I think we we probably hit a funny one on that one. Well, you hit two of them last night, Curbs, because you also have a partner who likes to make references to coyotes mating in the middle of a broadcast. And the next thing you know, we have uh, Curbs and Joey both howling after a goal call. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that one happened too. Yeah. So, well, well, yeah. He, you know, he, he's such a, a well-read young man that, uh, you know, there's there's so many different interests to him. And then right after he talks about, you know, the Coyotes uh, being in trouble out in Yellowstone, we score a goal and put more pressure on him. Like, it was, yeah, it was like it was a fun game for, for like, things just kind of constantly were falling into place. Well, and you talk about fun game curbs. And right now, you know, the season, a lot of people look at it and say, look, there's still some areas that this team is searching for and trying to get back to their blue style of hockey. But the best part about all of this, and we talked about this on the fourth period last night, is they continue to pile up points. And when you're piling up points, when you aren't playing your best, that's just great for a team at the beginning of a season. Yeah. And you know what? A knock on wood, the blues have been, uh, have been able to play all of their games. They, they've been able to to get through, and they have had the two injuries, you know, to Bozak and to Bortuzzo, but they've been able to find ways to win and to only have, you know, the, the two regulation losses on the season, a record of 7-2-1. and one, uh, it, you're, They're really in a good spot, and you've got to bank those points early in a short season. They, the ability to cut there, There's two things that are going to hamper your ability to close a gap. One is the fact that, that – it's a shortened season, so you don't have as many games uh, to, to do it in. Two, the fact that every team in the division is, is getting points every night, you know, it's it's going to be hard to make up some ground. If, if you're the Coyotes, you know, and you're looking right now, when you're at the bottom of the division, every team ahead of you, two of the like like, like half the teams ahead of you are going to get two points every single night. It's a totally different feeling when you're looking up and up in the standings versus looking down. And to give you, I mean, look, the Blues have won four in a row, right? And they all they are are tied for first place with Colorado in terms of points. In terms of points. I know the Blues have played one fewer game. But that kind of gives you an idea just how difficult this season can be when uh, divisional play is all you see. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, that goal that we played coming back, we laugh at it, but... I mean, the move was unbelievable, mm-hmm. and the confidence that it takes to make that move, I think, is what really stood out to me. I don't know if he does that last year. Have you seen the confidence from Justin Falk, even since the beginning of this season, grow? Uh, well, absolutely. I, I think, you know, again, I think one of the things that has to kind of impress you uh, with, with what Justin Falk did is when he was asked about his performance last year, you know, and he never once made an excuse. He never once said, yeah, this could be it or that could be it. He says, look, there, there's a lot of different factors and things that happen. But in the end, I just didn't play to the best of my ability. And, and, and you know, and again, if you go back to the bubble, we think he, he was probably our best defenseman in the bubble. And, and he's coming out as the best defenseman on the team right now, the way he's played. So, yeah, that confidence is there. I think, 
you know, knowing that he's going to get the ice time, knowing, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time, right? Knowing your role. Now, how many times on a baseball front do we talk about when you've got a, a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy, a ninth inning guy, when guys can prepare, okay, they, they see a situation on the field and, and they know that their, their number is going to be called from the dugout no matter what. And, and as Justin Falk told us the other day, part of what's going on now is, is just a great feeling. Like sometimes you, you don't even have to wait to hear your name called. You just know you're the next guy up and you go. And I think that's uh, even simplifying the game for him a bit. But, yeah, holy cow. I mean, what a move to the inside to cut it back, to see the five-hole open up, tap it through there. He, he is, His confidence is just oozing right now. Curbs, I proposed something to the uh, to the group of us here on BK and Ferrario that uh, we all shave and grow the Falk mustache for the remainder of the season. Are it you wasn't on accepted. This? It wasn't accepted on this end. <laughs> oh, it wasn't? It wasn't? Well, um, so – a couple, like about a, probably about a year, year and a half ago, I, I grew a beard, yeah. and uh, and and then before I shaved it all off, uh, and I, I'll I'll send you a picture of it, Alex. But uh, I before I shaved it all off, I shaved it into a mustache, and I thought it was just fantastic. Uh, I walked out of the bathroom, my family saw it and said, "What in the world is wrong with you?" And uh, um, and I got voted down in a hurry. So um, I think I think you. With what you're growing on your face, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep, it's going to happen as soon as this, as soon as baby Ferrario enters this world. It's going into the Falk mustache for the remainder of the season. Uh, Curbs, we talked confidence. Another guy that we talked about in the post game last night, Nico Mikola. He's not only getting more opportunities and minutes, but last night Craig Berube had him on the ice in those final moments of the game with a goaltender pulled, being up by a goal. The Blues are going to have some decisions now as Robert Bortuzzo was skating earlier today at practice, but I think these are great decisions to have for Craig Berube because he's got six, seven, maybe eight defensemen that he can rely on. Yeah, and I always go back to something that Larry Plo used to already talk to about, you know, not not referring to a player until you see the whites of his eyes. And then when he'd be asked, okay, what do you do when this player comes back? He says, you know what, let's just see what happens when he comes back because other things can happen. In, in this kind of schedule, over three games over the next four days, for example, back-to-back games on the weekend against Colorado, uh, there may be a defenseman that needs a break. There, there may be somebody that's uh, nursing some bumps and some bruises. And the fact that you're going to have some healthy D again to be able to rotate in there, and those defensemen are Robert Bortuzzo and Carl Gunnarsson, is really, really a, uh, a benefit and, and a, an advantage for the St. Louis Blues. So good to see Robert getting back in it after that hit. Curbs, last thing that I wanted to ask you earlier today, Doug Armstrong uh, spoke to the media about Tarasenko saying that the shoulder's still not 100%, still a few weeks away, um, but he's on the right track, and it seems like things are progressing the way that they would have hoped. At least that's according to what Doug Armstrong said earlier today. Based on what you just said, I might know the answer to this question. However, we were kind of playing the hypothetical game of when Tarasenko returns. It's going to be tough to figure out where does he go in this lineup because it's one of those good problems. David Perron, right wing with Ryan O'Reilly. Jordan Cairo has been tremendous. Mike Hoffman now on the right wing with Robert Thomas. If this is what the lineup looks like, they're still playing well whenever Vladimir Tarasenko returns. Where do you think he goes in this lineup? Well, if that Robert Thomas line uh, continues to progress like it seems to be doing, that that, that would be a benefit. Um, I, I have to think at that point in time, if, if the Cairo combination with O'Reilly and, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, with, with Shen and Schwartz continues to, to produce and continues to be impactful even if they're not getting points, I, I really I have to think it's somewhere on that line with, with David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, I don't, I don't know where else you would put them. I don't, you know, you're not going to, 
we're not you're not bumping Mike Hoffman down the line. You're not, uh, you know. So I, I think uh, to me that's where it has to go. And boy, oh boy, you want to talk about getting some real depth then at that point. You know, I mean, what that what it shifts down to your lineup if everybody else is healthy is just tremendous. So let's keep our fingers crossed that it continues to to progress the right way. You know, you're approaching that five month time frame when he be reevaluated. It's good to see that he's got the safety mechanisms in the shoulder good enough that if he were to fall while he's skating, he should be okay. And 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 he's starting to skate and maybe shoot a little bit. But I, I think I think Doug also said too he could. It, we're we're still a few weeks yeah. out. Yeah. From, from him being ready, so. Uh, boy, a lot can change there. But if healthy, it's what we talked about earlier on. My goodness. But I, I've got to think that changes the O'Reilly Perron line if everything else is status quo. You think Perron's good with going to the left side in that scenario? Yeah, I think David could. Yeah, I, I think to me that's that, that's that's at least a play I would be looking hmm. at initially. Yeah. You know, um, it, because, well, like I said, I, I don't know where else you're going to get him th- to get the ice time he needs. Yeah. Now, the only challenge is do you want him – and then this will be, but it flips it at the same time, guys, you know, maybe, maybe that's when, because he's had some good success, maybe he goes back with Shannon Schwartz and Jordan Cairo keeps that consistency and is, and is able to help another line too. I mean, that's, that's another option that is not out of the realm of questioning. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the blues. You heard him last night, a tremendous call with him and Joey Vitale, Alex Ferrario on pre-post and intermissions tomorrow night, blues versus coyotes pregame at six o'clock. Chris Kerber will be on the call starting at seven curbs. We always appreciate the time, man. All the best. And we'll talk with you again soon. All right, Brandon, Alex, thank you. Have yourself a great week. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. He's with you. Hey. David Perron switching over to the left side. Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and Vladimir Tarasenko with now. your your number two line, Schwartzin, Kairou, given how they're playing right yeah. now. And then Robert Thomas with a Mike Hoffman who's starting to click on the right wing instead of the left. Woo. Yeah. Oh, boy. And, and you know, I, I mentioned it before, and I know a lot of people hate the idea of it, but Curbs isn't wrong. I, I mean, as great as they're flowing right now, if Kairu can keep up the way that he's playing on I've, another line. I've literally less than zero interest in that. I know. <laughs> Hear me out for a minute, though. If Kairu can continue that play and make another line the way that he's making that Shannon Schwartz line, Tarasenko with Shannon awesome in that postseason run. Remember when, so I'm going to kind of play the opposite angle of what I typically I, would. I hate this. Remember Matt Carpenter when we were like, oh, what if what if you put him in the three hole? Whatever he was having all okay. of that success you know as, the, as the leadoff man, because the Cardinals were missing that piece in their three hole. I was like, ah, maybe they could put him down there and you figure out the lead. Just leave it be. Look, BK. Leave it be. Let it continue being successful and figure out the rest around it. But right now, that line is so dominant. Yeah. I don't want to do anything. Just, it's not broken. Please do not try to fix it. Look, BK. And stop, T-Bone, stop nodding your head. T-Bone can compare Kyrou to Tarasenko all he wants. When we start comparing Kyrou to Matt Carpenter, we got issues. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
That is Jamie Rivers. He's crossing things over. The fast lane's coming up at 2 o'clock. Very excited. They've got Doug Armstrong at 3.30, Kevin Harlan at 5 o'clock. Such big guests that I knew about them before I even asked Jamie what's coming up on the show today. Jamie, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing. I'm excited for a lot of things right now. Cardinal Nation, obviously, we're buzzing right now. Nolan Arenado is still the hot topic, and I hope he's the hot topic for not just months but years to come. The St. Louis Blues are on a four-game winning streak. And Super Bowl coming up Sunday. Tom Brady's looking to break out the polish, get a new ring, This guy baby. walks in with a Buccaneers jacket, a Buccaneers mask on. It's unbelievable. It's like he knew who he was walking into the studio with. He, this was 100% planned. <laughs> premeditated. This, this was premeditated aggravation is what happened as he walked into the studio. I don't appreciate it, Jamie. Look, at, first of all, I told you I'm just peeing on my territory. Uh, second of all, I don't like to support losing teams. You oh, okay. know, Chiefs okay. have well, they have one Super Bowl victory. I guess the Tampa Bay Buccaneers only have one, two. But Tom Brady, I think they're twenty-four and two in their last twenty-six games. Yeah, so, but you know, what? not a whole lot of losing. Overconfidence in there. <laughs> is a bad thing too, BK. You know. So speaking of overconfidence, <laughs> we had uh, Joel Wolf. Nolan Arenado's agent on with us earlier today. He was awesome. It, it had nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. He was amazing with us. If you missed it, check it out. 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app. It is presented by I Promise. The podcast is. I wanted to ask you about something he said about um, Matt Holiday mm-hmm. because he mentioned, and we've talked about this before, Holiday was a significant piece to all of this. He basically convinced Nolan Arenado that St. Louis, nowhere else, St. Louis is the place that you need to be. Does this stuff happen in professional (laughs) sports? Like, are there just, whether it be alumni or former teammates, whatever, who are going around talking to guys like, hey, hey, let me tell you about what it's like in St. Louis because, whoo, you want to go somewhere, you have an opportunity to leave, that's where you need to go. Does that happen? Happens all the time. And now it's not premeditated where you're like, okay, I'm going to make sure I sell the Blues or the Cardinals here. You're just being honest, and you talk about your time there. And look at the number one question that people always ask me, and you know, you've had, we've had on the text lines: How come so many guys retire in St. Louis after that aren't from here? Well, that's your there's your selling point right there. We have you know forty to fifty current Blues alumni. How many Cardinals guys settle in here? If they don't settle permanently, they're back at least part time, back and forth, and they always recognize the Cardinals as a team that they love playing for. Matt Holiday, he gave us the answers a long time ago. Yeah. Heck, when the pandemic started eons ago, felt like 10 years ago, we had him on, you, me, and Anthony Stalter, and he talked about how he's working with Nolan Arenado and told him St. Louis would be a great place. That man has put in some work for us. He deserves, like, I. that was already one of the most successful trades you could possibly have as a major league general manager. Mo deserves even more credit now than he got during the playing career of Matt Holiday for what Holiday has done for this organization, not just from 2009 to 2018 or whatever it was, but also what he's done since then, because he was apparently the one that got this down the road even mm-hmm. more than it would have otherwise been. It's it's an unbelievable story, and I I feel like we should be sending him an edible arrangement or something at this point. In time. Well, we will. We'll send him okay. something. We'll have him in. You know, he's a friend of the station, so we'll have him in doing something at some point. We'll make sure we take care of him. But this to me is like, okay, Mo, did you recognize that the secret sauce works? And then how much moving forward will he have guys that are former players that are influential, either working in baseball or just kind of helping out in baseball that make these phone calls? How many guys will he give a job to as a consultant that 
Hey, you know what? Pick up. You know this guy. Pick up the phone. Talk to him. Joel Wolf told us today that Arenado finds it really attractive to be able to go to a place where you're going to have former Hall of, or Hall of Famers, former Cardinals players just walking around spring training, just mm-hmm. being able to pick their brain. Guys like Jim Edmonds. Like, I'm just going to go ask him about hitting. Okay, that seems pretty sweet. That That's just there for me. Uh, before their passing, like Lou Brock was down there all the time. Bob Gibson was talking to Jack Flaherty about pitches. I mean, that's... That is something that if you're a player, the ilk of Nolan Arenado, it is unbelievably attractive. So hopefully they're able to do that uh, whenever we get out of this pandemic. Looking forward to the fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Tomorrow on Danny Mac show with BK, we will have Jeff Passan as well. So looking forward to that all coming up on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.